everyone. This is Scott, Leading Edge Archery. We got Bridger and Jason with us today. What's going on, guys? Not a whole lot. Hey, so I want to address a couple of things real quick. Um, we've had some feedback about audio, um, and we're kind of still rookies at this, so we're doing our best. We, we're, we're literally recording in a stock room yeah. on a folding table. Yeah. No, but we, actually, Jason found some new equipment, right, Jaybird? I sure did. Yeah, so we're going to get that thing on order. I th- what, what, you know, you're the tech guy. What is yeah. it? Mixer? Uh, it's a multi-channel interface so that we can record multiple channels instead of going all into one. It's like I explained it to you yesterday. Right yeah. now what we're doing is the equivalent of having a faulty string or cable, and you're going in there and trying to replace one strand. Instead of the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, instead exactly. of being able to pick stuff individually so anyway no so we're gonna work yeah we're working on that and then a lot lot of the times especially when we have the guests call in we kind of are at the mercy of their audio meaning their phone or their telephone or whatever they're using to to come through on skype i think it is right yeah absolutely so yeah so we'll get there work in progress but we're going to hopefully make it better for you hopefully the content's still good um i will try like hell Uh, excuse me but okay hell's probably okay but um (laughs) Bridger's giving me the evil eyes. Well, I'm just not paying attention, so I don't know what you you are. Well, I know say. one. I know somebody, one of Jay, Jay, uh, Bridger's friends. Uh, I have a really bad habit of talking over people, so I'll try to control that. <laughs> I, I was the jackwad, I think it was called, who likes to talk over. And then also, I could bring I, up the text if you'd like. No, I want to bring up the text. <laughs> I, but I, I take that feedback seriously, so I'm going to try like try to fix that. Um, yeah. The, but anyways, just bear with us because I think as this thing grows and grows, we're hopefully we'll get better and better equipment and maybe not be in a stock room on a folding table. But it's working though. I mean, okay. the goal is we want to we want to be in a room with bamboo wallpaper, have a little waterfall, a bonsai tree, and a no, little zen garden. No, we're not doing that. Oh, you're so bad. Um, um, anyways, we are going to go through. We've kind of been putting this one off because we're trying to give everybody a chance to respond but we've got jason what do you think how many responses um legitimate responses well yeah we've got about a solid 10 10 okay 10 uh questions that you guys submitted uh via our instagram or the shop's instagram uh page it was posted a while back you know just what would you guys like answered or what kind of topics would you like us to talk about so gotcha we're gonna go over some of those things yeah and then um we'll probably close out unless we get really long-winded on that um we're going to close it out and talk a little bit about nutrition um keeping yourself fit i think it's a big movement in the sport right now i'm seeing a lot of it you see especially in the hunting industry especially on social media and actually we all three of us are actively doing that heck we just got out of the gym what 20 well 35 minutes ago hour maybe yeah, something like that. Yeah, so we are, we're we're hitting it pretty hard, and we're gonna talk about um, Bridger's traps without neck um, poses that he does. Just jealous, yeah, well, Mister poses, Mister Head and Shoulders. Mr. I am Bridger. Bridger Scott DJ. trying to keep up with me and hurting himself. <laughs> yeah, I'm the old guy in the group though. Hey, come on. Hey, so it's all good. <laughs> so, anyways, we're gonna get around and talk to that stuff. We won't have a guest on this one, but we thought it was important to come back around and answer some of these questions that come up. We're going to try to keep it as technical as possible. I know some of the feedback we've been getting is that, you know, we get into the weeds. So we're going to do that, and hopefully we're not talking over your head. No. So, Just just so you guys know, it's it's it, probably not a good idea to use stainless steel weights as hey, you know, cooling 
devices. You know, I'm you laughing can, at Bridger right now. So I'm well over the age of 21, and I'm enjoying an adult beverage, which happens to be a little bit of whiskey. And I didn't have, we don't have any ice cubes. Nope. <laughs> so I was like, well, hey, instead of going on Amazon, spending 30 or $40 on a damn whiskey uh, ice cooler cube. deal with a little stainless steel one, I was like, there's about probably 500 pounds of stainless steel <laughs> stabilizer weights here in the store where we're recording. So I was like, I'll just, we'll get back from the gym. I'll throw that in the freezer. Have you know, works great. He, he did, I wash did wash it. it. He washed it, I'm I was not a, say. And it is being disinfected. <laughs> yeah, it's already in alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the MacGyver of the archery world. Yeah, there you go. I told you, engineer, should have went to school. He could have invented a I would have stainless been, steel uh, archery hey. weight. For, for yeah, we can't have more than one engineer in the shop. <laughs> I know, but he's pretty close. So, without he's a redneck uh, engineer, <laughs> without further ado, all right, let's get into the first question by Western Binds. Um, for those new to archery, do I need to spend fifteen hundred dollars on a setup to get started? Hmm. So that the tough one there is whether he's talking about bow hunting or target. Well, I think we can answer. We can answer it both ways. Yeah, either absolutely. either way, short answer is no. Yeah. No. Um, I don't, a lot of shops we're we're one that sells as opposed to doing like at least on the hunting side, as opposed to doing, um, like lower price point package style bows. We do more used bows. Some shops yeah. do both. Some shops only do the lower like the the lower end uh, package bows. But I mean, there are a lot of awesome bows that are out there like. If you're wanting a brand new bow, that's the only way you're wanting to go. Um, there's a lot of really good, like lower end uh, and just more inexpensive package bows out there out there mm-hmm. that'll allow you to get all the equipment you need at a fairly decent price. Yeah. I mean, you, a good one that, that heck one we sell that uh, what is the Power Max from Hoyt, mm-hmm. 750 bucks, and it's you got everything but a release and arrows. Right. Yep. So. You're able to stay under a thousand dollars and still have a pretty damn good bow. Yeah. yeah. On top exactly. of that. Yeah. Yeah. You've got that. You've got the the new Ember. Mm-hmm. You've got the. Uh, uh, you're going to go a little bit lower. You know. You've got all those uh, Quest bows by. Uh, Quest by uh, uh, Prime. Uh, Prime. Uh, Matthews has their Mission line. Correct. All really good bows that. Um, the Mission MXR, I think it is, has the exact same cam as the. Um, the avail, the avail, yeah, right. awesome cam, super fast bow, and it's like five hundred bucks. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I, the big thing is, I think, and we've talked about this in the previous shows, is just staying away from the big box store stuff because you can definitely get a bow there cheap, but it's just, are they going to service it properly? Are they going to set it up for you well, right? And I think that's one of the well, bigger questions. Usually, you'll, even though you buy a bow cheaper, you're going to end up spending more money anyways at the end of the day because you're going to. You'll buy it there. It's not going to be set up right. You're going to be shooting like doggy doo-doo. Yep. You end up coming to a pro shop where, you know, most shops now, you buy a bow there. They set it up for you the first time. And at least we, we'll do like our even a secondary tune-up Yeah. after you've been shooting in a while for nothing. Um, whereas opposed to, you, get, you know, you could buy a bow here for $700 or whatever your pro, local pro shop is, buy it for 700 bucks and not have to pay to set it up versus going to Bass Pro or – right academy or whatever and buying a bow for four hundred dollars and then coming here and having to spend 50 bucks to get a paper tune right you know 25 10 or 20 bucks however much your your range charges to be able to shoot uh 
spending money on better equipment because usually those all come with the garbage hostage rest right. or whisker biscuit or something. Plastic site. Plastic sites. You're going to end up buying that that stuff and having to pay to have it installed and all that all that right. jazz. So, yeah, give your local you, pro shop a chance. That's the thing. A, yeah, a give them a chance, and usually a lot of the stuff is buy once, cry once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing is, is, you know, I always try to encourage the customers. I mean, you, as a customer, you have to be honest with the pro shop. Tell them what you're looking for. Look, yeah. I, I want to spend a thousand dollars all out, and if, I mean, quite frankly, if the shop can't accommodate you, I would try not to be a jerk here, but I would question the the intentions of the shop because they can get all those bows we're talking about if they carry mm-hmm. any of the major lines have the mid major price bows that are going to be in that five to seven hundred dollar price range. Yeah. With arrows all out, you could you could be at a thousand dollars. Yeah, easy. Well, and even even on the other side of that, as opposed to doing like a brand new bow, look at some used ones, man. Yeah, because exactly. we do. That's when why you're... that's why we do used bows as opposed to those lower end ones. Because we can turn around and sell a bow that was brand new two or three years ago for the same price and be able to have top of the line. Uh, like wow, blank right well, there. Well, did you mean like, top of the line technology? Top, there we yeah, go. That's the go. one. Top of the line technology. <laughs> big you know, words, that's only, yeah. Big words. It's the stainless um, steel. <laughs> but uh, you know, you have better, a little bit better technology. Yeah, exactly. For the same price as you would a you know a lower end bow with not necessarily lower quality components, but right. a lot of times it is lower quality. Like oh. a used bow from two or three years ago that was a mainline bow or flagship bow is going to have stainless pocket or uh, uh, aluminum pockets all machined riser a lot of that stuff whereas some of those uh lower end new bows are going to have plastic, plastic composite pockets, pockets yeah. and forged magnesium riser instead well, of aluminum hey, here's a great example um and i know you love this bow but you look at the rx1 which is going on now a four-year-old bow mm-hmm. correct yep um the rx1 versus the rx4 there's four years apart between them and i'm gonna tell you there's there's arguably some people will tell you the RX one is better than the RX four. I know, I know you believe that. Yeah, and so you can, you can pick up an RX one for what? We can go on Archer Talk right now bucks. and buy one for six hundred bucks. Exactly, six hundred seven hundred bucks. Right, exactly. And that's what we kind of we sell them for. I think in between six and seven hundred here mm-hmm. when we get them in use, and uh, that's roughly what thousand dollars off retail. Yeah, yeah. what was the time? It was five fifteen ninety nine. Yeah, brand exactly. New. So that's a, always I think it's a great way to go. Yeah, you don't get the warranty. But you know, most shops, and I know we do. We do. If you buy them from your local pro shop, they're going to do everything they can to help take care of you. That is correct. So yeah. there are some shops I know because I used to work in a couple that are pretty hard line on not passing on a warranty. And I'm not saying we give a warranty, but you know, I we've been doing used bows now for four years, and I will tell you, I've had two bows that I can recall where I think a customer probably blew them up. Mm-hmm. Um, they've called us out on it, and I've repaired those and split those costs with them. So. It cost them like a hundred dollars for a set of limbs, and plus me paid me fifty bucks. So for one hundred fifty dollars, I got back up shooting again, which yeah. most other pro shops going to charge you what two fifty three hundred for the limbs, and then plus installation. And uh, you know that's the other thing. You know, talk not, not to, to to run down the the, the uh, chase of squirrel, but you know the other thing is just being honest with your shop. I mean, I, I will tell you the one thing that drives me bananas, and I've been in this industry, and Bridger, you've been in it forever, and Jason, you're starting to learn. You know when a bow's been. But- Dry fire. You can. <laughs> I mean, we dude, just we've seen it all, and the man, guys come in with these stories. <laughs> I'm shooting in the backyard. Just yeah. done did blow it up. It blew it up. Yeah. Don't you have an arrow? Oh yeah, I did. dude. Uh, yeah. Oh my it's god. Pretty funny. It, 
There's more rednecks in Iowa that do that crap than <laughs> here, but holy smokes, Because man. honestly, and, and I'm not going to name the manufacturer, but I know one manufacturer for sure. They give you a free get-out-of-jail-free card, mm-hmm. and I respect them greatly for it. Um, and they pretty much will, no questions asked, cover a pretty major catastrophe on the first go-around. Yeah. And um, and I think that's awesome, and I we do the same thing here. I just want you to be honest with me. You know, the, the one that's the funniest, the best one of all, is when they bring it in, and they it's derailed, and it's got this big gouge in the cable guard, and they shoot a handle release. And oh, yeah. There's a big gouge in the release, <laughs> and I don't know what happened. You know, I was just shooting, and everything went flying, you know, and how'd my get, cable guard broke. How'd you get that black eye? Yeah, exactly. That chip in your tooth. And, you know, they never want to believe it. They Fight let go club. of the release. Yeah, it's hilarious. So. Yeah. Anyways, be honest with your pro shop. They're yeah. there to help you. I, I mean, they I, really are. Even, even being honest with, like, the manufacturer, if your first instinct is a call, yeah. you know, whatever your bow manufacturer is. I had a customer when I was in Des Moines uh, at the store there. He called. He dry-fired his Elite. I couldn't tell you what model it was. It was probably three or four years ago. Dry-fired his Elite. First thing he did, called the Elite. He was like, hey, I just goofed up, dry-fired my bow. 100% my fault. Like, where's the closest shop I can get cams sent to? And they're yeah. like, well, what's your address? We'll send you cams. And they only charge them shipping. Yeah. And they said, just go to go to Shields in Des Moines. They'll, yeah, fix, they'll fix it. Yeah, that's awesome. So for, he had what could have been a $200, Repair. $200 goof up. That ended up only costing fifteen bucks because he had the balls to walk up and say like, "Hey, I just drive fire my boat yeah, because I'm an idiot." Up. Yeah, exactly. It happens, you know. Well, not to mention, being honest kind of alleviates the the hunt for the problem. Exactly. Well, yeah, it, exactly. it saves us so much time. Yeah. yeah, I don't have to sit there and, and decipher the codes on the bow. Even, and that's even though the, we already know, it's not like <laughs> we a car. Already know what happened? Yeah, yeah but I, I mean, it's not like a car when you can just plug in a, a little detection thing and it gives you a code. Yeah, no, and that's the thing, and. Like I said, we've been doing this so long. We know what bows do. Certain, and we even know by manufacturer what they do when they blow up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you stories on all of them. And it's just funny when they make it up. And that like the bows just don't blow up at full draw. They just don't blow up when you shoot an arrow. They, I mean, sometimes, but yeah. Mainly because we've probably done it once or twice. Yeah. Shoot, I did it in front of a customer one time. Drove back his bow tech insanity right in front of him, checking the timing, and let go of that string. And I'm like, well, you're going to get new limbs and cams. <laughs> so, I mean, it can it can be as easy as forgetting to put stops in like that one day. Oh, oh yeah. God. One oh, day I was... <laughs> no, I was sitting there working on a bow, and I put the stops in, had to do something, took them out. I looked at Scott, and I said, stops are in, drew it back. Boat locked it out, and uh, the way that we had to do it back then was you had to climb on one of those oh, uh, yeah, block targets, targets to put it on. Yeah, to put it on the, put it the on press. the on the press. Yep. I can't do that in a wheelchair, so no. I had to sit there and hand the bow wide open yeah, to that's to someone. Scary. I'll never I'll never forget. It was one of the first years I worked at Shield Shields, and we shared a booth with Elite. They mm-hmm. had their little shooting trailer, and uh, I think it was a year that Energies came out, and they. Dude, we were shooting in there before the show. Dude draw, draws bow back, and it locks up. Had stops in and everything locks up. We didn't have a bow press. Uh-huh. So he takes and closes one door in the trailer and goes, you guys ready? No, <laughs> he didn't. Takes the bow and just hooks it through it. There, chucks it as hard as you can into the trailer and slams the door. <laughs> and you just hear <laughs> strings and cams and crap flying everywhere inside. He's like, all right, I didn't have, don't have press. Oh, wow. Better than sitting here with a bomb in your hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right. It's kind of scary. All so, right, go one, to the next one, Jason. Next question. We so... <laughs> Long, long answer short, you don't have to spend no. $1,500 no. on that, especially if, if you have a, a pro shop 
that handles used bows. And Go that, in, that, and that includes target bows. You can do target bows yeah. for right around that 1500 number on the used market or even some of the lower, lower yeah. ones. And it, well, some shops don't have, aren't going to have as much exposure to target as we do here right. at our store. Right. Man, dude, find out, find, there's usually going to be one or two target guys at your store. Find out some information from him if you're wanting to do target stuff. And, Dude, I remember I bought a lot of used bows and equipment off of eBay when I was oh, yeah. when I was younger and first yeah. getting into it. Um, eBay, Archery Talk, you, Facebook Marketplace. You got to really search through the eBay stuff because there's so many retailers on eBay yeah. now. That's the bad thing. Back in the day, it was but, easy. Well, but. but as far as finding a site, finding yeah. sta- a right. good set of stabilizers and stuff. Right. I mean, you can go on with a rest. You can go on or, or go on Lancaster and buy a trophy taker right. spring steel for sixty dollars. You know, so one other thing, real quick, to just to close out this. And I, I mean, I have an opinion on this, I and mean, you guys may think differently, but I would prefer you guys stay off Amazon because there yeah. is so much counterfeit material on Amazon it's right now. You think insane. you're getting this heck of a buy, and you're getting something that's been duplicated, counterfeited in China, and it is junk. I mean, I see mm-hmm. it in here all the time. And so it's something that, you know, guys think they're getting a great deal, and they don't Or a great product. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's like that one thing that I bought, remember the... The roller guard. Yeah, the roller guard. Exactly. And I'm sitting there wondering why are my cables getting, getting chewed, chewed up? up yeah. And Buried one of the rollers was not moving. was not moving, yep. and it was just grinding it down. Yeah, exactly. Which I should have known better. Oh well, it happens. All number, right, number, number two. Uh, we've got Tim Archer. Keep doing what you're doing. Refreshing podcast. Thank you for that. Pacific Northwest Hunters. Hey there, nice page. Thank you. These are just a little. A little hellos. We need a little boost our confidence here. Uh, Hexed 1972 releases and their pros, cons, target panic. Ooh. Well, this can definitely open whole, up a, whole a massive can of worms. Whole episode. <laughs> Yikes. We can, no. we can answer that one pretty quick. Yeah, Don't we say can. say the TP word. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Normally, you don't ever say that. We don't. That's like saying Bloody Mary. Yeah. <laughs> Go in the mirror and say Bloody Mary three times with the lights off. <laughs> Guys, if you say it, you might get it. Yeah, I don't like you talking about it. Like, but, the reason is I had it so bad. I actually quit archery for a long time. Yeah. Of it. Well, and most people do. I mean, you make your brain do the same thing. Yeah. 10,000 times it's eventually gonna wonder why in the hell it's doing what it's doing yep um but as far as so what did they say it was asking more about like he's just asking releases and yeah they're just asking releases and their pros cons so i I figure we can go around the room and bridge what's in your release bag real quick too just real quick he can go on our facebook page you're going to go back probably and go to the video section you know you can do it by what i think photo and stuff mm-hmm. yeah go to the video section back probably three and a half years ago we did a very intensive release seminar with that i have found out from some shooters around the country have used it to help even their clubs and stuff learn about mm-hmm. the releases and we went we went through resistance hinges you know back tensions um triggers and thumb triggers and it was a pretty, pretty in-depth. I mean, I think we actually did it with Blake, our elite rep, I think was one of them, and a couple of my staff shooters back then at the time. But Three years ago, that's in the old shop? Yes, back when we in the old shop. No, we may have did it on here. Really? I can't remember. But it's a it's a great video. I mean, I encourage you to go check it out. It's been, it was a pretty good one. But anyways, yeah, let's go ahead and move on. We'll if talk about If it's on the YouTube page, please comment on Scott's facial hair. No, <laughs> don't. Bridger, what's uh, in your release bag? I mean, I've, I exclusively shoot hinges. I've never been able to feel like I have good control with the thumb button. Um, and a lot of that's just because I always, I learned how to shoot back tension 
in air quotes there, uh, on a hinge. And that's what I always became comfortable with right away. So that's why I continue to shoot. Um, I mean, I've got a couple different ones. I've got, what do I got in there now? I have an HT three finger. I got a three finger, uh, or which one's the, uh, the fulcrum flex set up in a three finger. Um, and then I know Colby Hanley from Ultraview, so he gave me one of those to mess around with a little bit. Um, but I like I shoot mine without a click, or I shoot my hinge or back tension style without a click. I know Scott, you like to set up a lot of guys with the click, and just I think, let them know. Yeah, yeah. I think from a beginner standpoint, it's a really good tool to help people to get if it's set up correctly. It's a really good tool to help people understand like where they're at and their hand position, making sure they're getting to the right spot every time. Um, and the way I've always been taught and the way I always teach people to set the clicks up to where basically you settle into your anchor and right as you get, get your peep, get lined up through your peep, that's when your release should click. That way you have a consistent shot time sequence. Right. So, but I shoot without a click in mine. Um, but I mean, once you learn how to shoot any release correctly, you can shoot any other release. So like I can pick up a thumb button as long as I understand the tension of it and the thumbs, the thumb barrels in the right spot, I can shoot it fairly well. Um, I like shooting an index trigger release for my hunting bow. I can shoot it with good back tension um, as well. So um, re- resistance releases—that's about the only thing I never really messed around with when I was younger. Or now, I to me they're mostly just a training tool, um, more so than they are a, an actual release you would want to use in competition so and a lot of that for me is just because i pull differently every time i shoot if i'm nervous i'm pulling really hard if i'm you know if i'm aiming well i want to sit there and watch it sometimes i'll just sit on the back end and let it rotate so for me i'm not building any tension at a fast enough rate to get one of those to fire but gotcha no i no i agree a thousand percent um you know it's funny and i'll get i this is kind of a crazy story, but I want to talk about it real quick about releases. Um, the, uh, you know, if you shoot a release right, you can shoot and Bridgie, hopefully you, I think you'll agree with it. So I think we've talked about it. If you shoot a trigger, a thumb button properly, you can shoot it without physically punching the trigger. Yeah. Punching the thumb, punching the index finger. Um, meaning that there are techniques and ways to shoot that release the same way you shoot a hinge mm-hmm. without thought. In other words, it's crazy it's hard to do discipline wise, but thousands of archers do yeah. it. Well, and I think a lot of that just depends on what you learned on too. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I started on a trigger and then I'm, I'm horrible at it. I have bad punching and I have bad, um, you know, this is why I want to talk about this and this is a true story. This is kind of crazy. So I broke up with a very long relationship I had for like 17 years, been what now three years ago and through my dating life, this was a crazy story. I met a lady um, who was a brain psychologist, like a, but she, and she was published like seven times. She was, uh, oh, Jason, you may have remembered her because I brought her into the shop a couple of times because she actually did a kind of a mini seminar for our shooting staff. Stayed you, away. You might not have been there. Okay. You told me about. No, this is, and this is crazy. This is a crazy story. And um, um, she was amazing. Um, Keith Schnell, like, was, and one of the other guys, Steve, was really, like, they wanted to talk to her for hours to learn because she was, Crazy smart. And the amazing thing is she was published seven times, had seven, I don't know how many doctorates she had, but one of her doctor thesis she had done on one of her doctors was on archery. Mm-hmm. That's what's crazy. Yeah, that's kind of scary. Yeah, it was weird. Especially for someone in the well, archery world. And what's amazing is I had thought 
I mean, I had a theory in my own head forever that, you know, we have a right brain, left brain conflict in archery mm -hmm. um, because we are doing two different processes simultaneously. And anybody who knows anything about human biology, the brain, human brain cannot operate right and left at the same time. It's either or. Yep. So when I was talking to her about it, and I forget, and she got crazy excited about it and went back and she showed me on her computer these tests that she had did, and it was with the recurve archer at the time, and it was on a video, had his brain wired up, and it was amazing because when he was at full draw and aimed, going through his aiming process of super slow-mo, his right side of his brain, which is your intuitive thinking process, it's your, your where the creative side is, where we, we can draw and play play music. And that's what we do when we aim. And she was, and his right side of his brain was lit up like a Christmas tree. It was crazy. The, the left side was completely dark. It was wild. Um, and then uh, you could watch as he was going through the motions of releasing the, the, the tab, he had, you know, and opening the fingers and everything. During that split second, the entire right side of his brain went completely dark and his left side fired like crazy because that's our mechanical movement where we go and say okay we're going to go lift this barbell now or we're going to go mm. do this function and it's it's motor movement is what it is and um it was crazy and she was her entire thesis was built around the people who have what they what she called synaptic changeover which was your the ability for right brain to switch to left brain simultaneously are the ones who can master shooting mechanical releases or the fingers they're going to be the best archers in other words mm -hmm. And um, and I had always said that a hinge release or a thumb trigger or, you know, an index that is shot properly is basically tricking the brain. I mean, essentially there's, what we're doing. There shouldn't be that synaptic switch. Exactly. Because all we're doing is if you train enough with a hinge, for example, and you know, a lot of people talk call it back tension. And it is because you're maintaining back tension. But at the end of the day, and I hate even telling people this, the hinge is rotating. Well, yeah, you're moving. It has to move to fire. Um, and I never really even like to talk about that with, with clients that are getting into that release because once you, you tell them that, it becomes, oh, I can trigger this. All I got to do is pull harder oh, with my two fingers. <laughs> and all we're doing is rotating it and making it fire. So you might as well go back to your punching your trigger at that point. Mm -hmm. So we can't feel that movement realistically. I mean, you can somewhat, but you can't. Well, yeah, that's when you start getting into the whole mental management. Um, and I've done quite a bit of, of listening all last year through it that's your subconscious and your conscious brain going yeah. through you know your conscious brain is the one that's sitting there telling you keep it in the middle keep it in the middle but when you shut that off and you let your subconscious that's what makes those minor little adjustments and keeps you in the middle and before you know it the shot breaks and you get that surprise yeah because you're completely mm -hmm. blank blank and it just goes cool. off perfectly and when you when you're able to manage that is when you have the best shots possible. Yeah. And that's why guys, you know, I, I watch Bridger. It's kind of, you know, I know he is, you know, Bridger and myself both, we've shot a hinge release, my goodness, um, tens of millions of times throughout, you know, your career. And it's, it's weird because every once in a while and this happens, you know, you get hung up, you know, you let down or you end up blowing a shot cause you've held it too long and you mm -hmm. know, man, I can't get it to fire. And you know, darn well, subconsciously, you know how to fire that release. But if you're disciplined, and like Bridger, of course, as a professional, has built that discipline to not dump that release all times. <laughs> He's looking at me like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Sometimes. Which is it's hilarious because, so continuing the, the topic going around, I, I usually keep that Blade Pro forefinger. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm an on-command shooter. Yeah. Uh, I've learned how to do it that way, and it's a hard habit to kick. 
Um, sometimes I can do it really well, and I try to I try to keep it in in the parameter of if I can repeat it, yeah, then, then do it. Well, I mean, some um, kid just won like a hundred G's doing it at like doing a it. tournament in like Las Vegas or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. punch punching yeah, like a wild we were, man. <laughs> we were just talking about this the other day about how um, gal from Denmark used to just swing yeah. her thumb around and you know slam that that trigger and I mean, put it, it right in the x well it just depends i again going back to it, like doing that type of study with that guy we talked to um um like doing that type of study between somebody that shoots a like a relaxed shot or a, a subconscious shot like uh -huh. myself or like you to where we're just basically watching and aiming and yep pulling surprise. and everything yeah it's a quote-unquote surprise release versus a command, I, don't, I guess command is command the right shooter. way to do it. Yeah, I know when my no, shot's going to go off. Yeah, but okay, so you know when your shot's going to go off, so do I. Yeah. I have a clock in my head that's ticking the whole time, Correct. and if it's past that or before that, you like, I know out. it. Yeah. I know if it breaks before that, I'm like, oh, Foley. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and if it goes w way too long, that's the when you can tell that it's going too long, that's when you tell yourself to try and let down. And you don't. <laughs> and then I don't, and then blow a shot, and then I throw <laughs> an arrow across the range or something. Right. But no, I don't know. Right. So like it's to me, it's curious because there is that, like Jason said, you know when your shot's going to go off. But like you shoot enough, you know when it's supposed to go off. Well, yeah. it was it was amazing because her study was built around that very subject that the people that have extremely quick synaptic changeover right to left can master that punching or master that plucking of a of a recurve, let's say. And shoot extremely well by doing it. And what was amazing when I told her about the hinge release and how we do it, I mean, she went like crazy. Like mm. it was like I want to go back and redo and add on to this thesis that she had she had done because she had no idea that equipment because she was working with the recurve guy. Yeah, um, she didn't know that equipment was there. When I explained to her how we do it, I mean, it was it was kind of like. For her, it was like she could not believe it. She's like, oh, my gosh, you guys have found a way to cheat the brain. Mm -hmm. That's what she basically told me over dinner one night. Tricked, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know, and I tell people this, and I use that a lot when I'm coaching new shooters into shooting a hinge or a button or shooting them properly, that you know, if you can sit there and just concentrate on one thing, which is allowing the right side of the brain to aim and, and hold that pin the best you can and that release to fire on its own without – human intervention without actually physically saying, okay, I'm going to shoot this release now. It is the most optimal way to shoot a bow. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think anybody can argue that, but so, the, 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 uh, the, the thing that's out there in left field is people like Jason who have mastered that ability to shoot on demand say, okay, pins there. I am firing now. See ya. And they, and they, and they punch it. So send what, it. <laughs> so, okay. On the same level of that, going back to the question a little bit, Target panic oh, is somebody that cannot exactly. manage <laughs> that is, synaptic switch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, 100%. but like your brain gets into a fight or flight mode Absolutely. as far as, you know, it's there. Like for me, what I deal with is I'll sit there and watch my dot sit in the middle. And then for some reason, some little demon sitting on my shoulders, like, Hey, it's not going to be there forever. You better get rid yep. of it. Yep. And then I'll try and switch over and it works two or three or four times in a row <laughs> and then it goes downhill very quickly because yep. that timing sequence is nowhere near where it should be right so like if the guy that was asking the question was wondering like when you're dealing with target panic there's a thousand and one different ways or different types of target panic just like there's a thousand different ways to deal with it the easiest thing to do taking i mean go to a blank bail shoot i'm 
for me, I'm very visual, visual stimulant mm-hmm. driven. So I will shoot at a target like five yards. That way I still have something to aim at. Right. But for me, it's all, like I said, like I got a demon in my head that says like, Hey, shoot it. Cause it's not going to be there forever. Yeah. So I'll go back and shoot at five yards at a target where, I mean, I can damn near swing the whole bow off the bail and it's, and it's still going to be in right. the middle. Right. Or still going to be in the, the center of what I'm aiming at. So I still have that visual stimulant in my head. So for me, and I can practice shooting and not necessarily turn off the aiming portion, but I don't have to concentrate nearly as much. Right. And for me, when I transition back, you know, if I'm outside shooting at 50 meters, transitioning back to 50 meters or shooting at a 3D target or shooting at a Vegas face or whatever, that transition from blank bail, quote unquote blank bail, back to actual scoring or back to the actual target that I'm going to shoot is a lot more seamless transition right. than somebody just blowing arrows out of their bow all damn day at nothing. At nothing, right. So And you, then they go over, and the second they, instead of thinking about their shot, they look and see where their dot is, and then they're, they boom, they're right it. back to they're where right they were. Yeah. So I think you said the key word there, what I believe is the demon. So mm-hmm. you have this little guy sitting on your left shoulder screaming at you because the dots, your pin is sitting there not moving, and he's freaking out because, like you said, you can't do it forever. Mm-hmm. And I think what I do in blank bill is a little different, is, is I teach you, you hold in the dot or the X at 5 or 10 yards, whatever you, wherever you choose to, and you hold it there because you've got to break that sequence. Cause mm-hmm. we all, and you, you said it a second ago, the internal shot clock, we all have it. Um, you know, you can go in and time someone and look at them and, you, and, and just, I do this all the time with an archer that I bring in for instruction and I'll sit there and in my head, as soon as he gets to anchor, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, one, and they will be somewhere in between six and eight seconds or 10 and 12 seconds. It'll be within a two second window. And invariably, whenever they start to get close to that and that shot's not start to, started to process, they start to freak out. Mm-hmm. And what I do is get them on that dot and I don't even let them shoot. Um, in other words, I put the pin in there. Hey, put the pin in the X and don't shoot and don't let down until I tell you. And I try to break that sequence. Yeah. And you can see them. You can watch them. Sometimes they'll get the six seconds and <laughs> flinch. <laughs> and then that was the brain saying, oh, you should have shot. And I got a funny story. James Ritterman, a very good friend of mine who used to shoot a lot with us, uh, shot at A&M, won I don't know how many national championships there, and heck of an archer. He started fighting target panic really bad. And uh, we, uh, I got a an element, a stand element, and, mm-hmm. I, and I tightened that sucker all the way down. It couldn't be fired. It was impossible. Because he was telling me, I don't have target panic. There's no way. And I'm like, James, you, you got it bad, you know. So I said, shoot this for new release. I want you to try it. <laughs> he drew it back on a 20-yard target, and he got into a shot. And, I mean, he flinched so bad, his bow, he about threw the bow across the room. Hmm. You know, and he's like, well, this release is broke. It won't even fire. I'm like, yeah, Will, you just aren't pulling hard enough. <laughs> and he, he drew back again, and, I mean, within a half second of the other one, he flinched again so bad he about dropped the bow. And, and what <laughs> it did, and he, and he had no idea. And he's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe I am shooting at that. I'm I'm trying to make that fire at that time frame. And I told you, man, and we worked through that drill with him and ended up being okay. But it's, it is definitely that target panic. You know, then the other thing is, I think another form of target panic, you said it a second ago, is you hear this a lot, the guys that freeze under the dot Mm -hmm. or their aiming point, they'll put that pin, we call it snow coning, you know, dots up on top, pins stuck at six o'clock and you can't move it. Yep. I mean, and it's a very common, and, you know, talking to Paige, talking to Linda, you know, Crystal, and I'm imagine Bridger, you probably know some guys who do it. 
I know a very good friend of mine, Paul Miller. Um, Paul is probably, I think, one of the most talented archers out there. He's, he lives in Maryland now. He used to be in Texas. Won Vegas one year, the flights. Um, I mean, won the whole flights. Mm-hmm. And uh, shoots an index trigger. And Paul will tell you that at 20 yards, his pin is set for 22 and a half yards. Um, 30 yards, he's set at 33. He snow cones and doesn't fight it and just lives with it. And it was ironic to hear talk about Paige, what, 6 o'clock she black. She sits at 6, yeah. Insane. Well, here's the thing, though, is like either there it's a tendency to where you sit there and you're comfortable aiming there. Right. I tried to do that. The first time I got target panic was I would sit underneath it. Yeah. And, yeah, that worked for a little bit. So I'd sit underneath it and I sighted in to hit like two inches above where I was aiming. I was shooting 3D at the time. Right. Well, now all of a sudden, like I knew I was supposed to aim there. So now that I started aiming even Getting lower, lower. <laughs> and lower and lower. So like, yes, there are Band-Aid solutions, but right. if you want a good hard, hard fix, solution. it does take, I mean, it takes time to practice. Yeah. And you have to be able, be willing and able to put that time in. Right. Um, as far as like sometimes change, like we talked with Paige about it to where like we're home as professionals we're home for three or four days at a time right. and don't have a lot of time to work on stuff so like i've become a master of band-aid solutions <laughs> i have right. something that'll work for me for two weeks and, and then I gotta, I gotta throw in the trash and figure out something else right. so right. i mean and i've dealt with that for you know the last six eight years but as an amateur guy you can usually stay at home you can work on stuff right. a lot of times it helps your your pocketbook if you uh <laughs> stay, yeah. stay home from one or two tournaments yep but um i mean do it because you enjoy it obviously if you want to go go but like understand that you're gonna most of the time get worse yeah score wise yes. before you start 100%. coming back up yeah you're gonna have a dip and then you'll yes. spike again yes but i don't know it's just a finding time to practice b being realistic with where your goals are and where you think you are and just putting the time in yeah. to genuinely fix it. So, Sometimes switching releases helps a well, lot of guys. Gonna, that was my next thing. Um, but if you don't know how, if you if you have target panic because you're shooting the release you have currently incorrectly, right? Going to a different release just means you're going to shoot it incorrectly. Right. Would so, you Would you agree though that if you want to work on target panic, and maybe this is probably to close out the question and use a release to do it. The, either the resistance or the hinge yeah. are the two ways to do it. But again, learning to do it, do correctly. it correctly. Correct. Because yeah. anybody can pick up a hinge and shoot it. Anybody can pick up a thumb and shoot it. Anybody can pick up a even resistance. I mean, a resistance is, is a little a harder. Res, it's harder to do yeah. it correctly, but one to where there's a mechanical release in right. it, a hinge, trigger, or button. Um, I mean, you got to make sure you're learning it right. from somebody that knows what they're doing so that you can learn it correctly. Right. Because if you're punching the snot out of a thumb button and jerking and missing the whole bail and you pick up a hinge and do the exact same thing you're gonna, you're gonna be in the same button. yeah exactly well and we have a couple guys you know actually more than a couple we have some guys who are really serious archers that want to become better hunters and they're hunters they're not target guys and i we have put them in hinges or resistance releases in the off season like right now they're shooting their back tension releases or their mm-hmm. resistance and they'll shoot those all the way up until about July. And then they will switch back over to their trigger or their thumb button because they built such good solid habits with the hinge or the resistance. Um, it equates over into their thumbs yeah. and their triggers. And that they, they actually make the transition very well and they become extremely accurate at long distance. So those are just some of the tips. And, you know, we could do an entire show just on that. 
we just kind of covered it at what the 30, no, probably the 10,000 feet. Um, maybe, and maybe for another time, another show, we'll get really deep in detail, talk about, you know, ways to get over it, you know, cause there's just, there's a lot of information out there. I mean, you can definitely Google it and find all kinds of stuff, but get with a reputable instructor at your local shop. If you have one, you know, hope there is. And if not, you know, I, I, it scares the heck out of me to say go to YouTube or go to the internet because, <laughs> you know, that's there's a lot of good, like, there's a lot of bad. Sometimes that'll help. Yeah. That's usually my first advice is stay off the internet. Yeah, mine too, and that's why but, it's so hard. I mean, but so, <clears throat> if you're if you're basing your your research on YouTube, make sure it's a reputable yeah, channel. Exactly, and, again, and make sure. Go like, ahead. Again, <laughs> learning. You, you, I mean, you have to know, or you have to be able to shoot the release you're wanting to get over target panic with. Yeah. You need to be taught or need to learn how to use it correctly. Right. Because, like I said, you can somebody can go and shoot a million arrows at ten feet, and if you're just punching the ever living snot out right. of it, the second you go back to a target, you're going to be in the exact same boat, and all you did was waste twelve months of your right. twelve well, months of shooting. And, and and the other, you know, you know, to talk about the social media aspect of it, I think you got to be real careful. You know, I'm not going to name any names, but you could have a local guy at your shop that is a staff shooter that is traveling the country shooting the ASA tour or shooting the USAT tour. You know, he doesn't have to necessarily be a quote-unquote pro, but he's competing, shooting day in and day out, and shooting a hinge or shooting a resistance. He is going to be better than a guy that's extremely popular on social media who is not plying his trade today but pushing product. Well, not only that, but I mean, the there's, person, there's tons of guys that like person that. or instructor at your store can look at you and say, yeah. Oh well, you're not punching it. You're doing this, this or yeah, like, yeah. holy crap! You're you you donkey kick the ever loving crap out of right. that thing. Like they can look at it in process and understand the issue that's actually there. Because oh, yeah. again, there are a million and one, and then a couple other versions of target panic. Well, it's funny you say I'm co- I'm got a guy right now that I'm doing, and he says oh, I I have target panic bad. He comes in for his first lesson with me. I go through it, and I don't think he's got it. His bow was so improperly put together and yeah. tuned for him. His draw length was in crazy too short. Um, we just made a lot of adjustments to his form and to his anchor point, to his loop length and um, his draw length, and it's almost solved the problem. I yeah. said, I don't think you have it. I think uh, a lot of people self-diagnose themselves with target panic a little prematurely too, without even knowing. I mean, I I thought there like for the, a second it's like the WebMD of, exactly <laughs> of archery. Exactly. For a second, oh, I suck. I got target panic. <laughs> right. You know, for a second there, I was doing the same thing that you guys were talking about, where I was holding low eight. You know, man, I can't I can't seem to to put my pin on the on the gold. Come to find out, my my right shoulder was raised yeah. whenever I was drawing back. I was anchoring right. with my right and shoulder. That's a raised. form issue. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Once I was able to to acknowledge that and and that, and that was draw length yeah i mean you can't sh- too short you're going to be raised every time you know and so yeah that's once you fix little things i mean yeah yeah target hopefully pa- hopefully we answered some of that um but the target we'll, panic demon exists but maybe it we'll write that, yeah. maybe we'll write that down and talk about like i said that's a whole show in itself yeah, next next question the Jay, power of question. archery Hope. compels you <laughs> <laughs> all right next question is by hex 1972 again sites Single pin versus fixed brands, target versus hunting, distance from riser, et cetera. Oh the distance God. from riser would oh, be there's another show. A, a tuning. So, okay, technically, the and Gillingham has a lot of information about it. The distance from riser is more of a relationship with your the distance you rest from, your, from the throat of your grip. Mm-hmm. 
and when it comes to torque tuning torque and all that tuning, stuff. Right. Now, I've never done it because I got lucky enough the first time I ever set up my target bow as a kid, I just happened to slap it into the right spot and like I went out the 70 meters I was a cadet at the time and took and twisted my bow to the right shot, hit a, hit a 10, like I think directions here, hit a 10 on the left side, yep. twisted it to the left, hit a 10 on the right side. I'm like, You're oh, good. I guess this is good. I, yeah. And I've used the exact same sight and rest position for the last 10 years. Right. Um, so I don't know exactly how to do that as better as well, but Gillingham has a ton of good information on that from a target perspective, at least is where to put your sight in and out. Now for me, Honestly, I've used it to tune my sight tape. I've used it so that I can, you know, get a little more clearance on my hunting bow. I'll run the sight further in. Um, I don't know, for the most part, on hunting bows, it's just personal preference No, it's to preference me. on a hunting bow. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, people, it's funny because I, a lot, to your point, what you said, Bridge, a lot of guys, they get really OCD with their hunting rigs when they're in here in the shop shooting it the X or shooting outside at a, at a soda bottle cap or a tack, not realizing that you the have a lot bigger. Yeah. You got about a 10 to 12 inch kill zone. Unless and it's a, one of those country deer. Yeah. And unfortunately deer don't run out with little spots on their size unless it's an axis. And yeah. quite frankently, if you're shooting at a spot on an axis, you got way, that axis is dumb as a hammer because he's yeah, standing you know, there. <laughs> you're not going to try posing. to 12 ring an axis. No, but, I don't know. As far as, I mean, different sites. Oh, well, okay. What? He had said something about so he was asking about, single, right? Yeah. So he's asking about single pin versus fixed. Um, preference. Different brands. More, that's preference, but we, I mean, we're more of a Western shop. So if yeah. you're going, and I'll say like from a hunting perspective, if you're going to do more Western hunting, um, I bet 90% of guys going out Western hunting have some sort of an adjustable or movable site. Movable site, but you also um, need to have multiple pins. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. I run that, I run an Excel Accu Hunter or Accu yeah. Touch. I got a three pin housing. Um, a big one here that we love selling is that option the series option site, to where right. it's kind of a combo of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it just depends on the hunting situation you're yeah. going with. Yeah, Some guys love, like for me, I loved shooting a single pin. Oh, in, in, Iowa. in Iowa? That's all I would use. Well, yeah, because I, I, <laughs> it's every 20 lane, to 30 yards. Every lane I cut was 35 yards and in. Right. So I just slapped my sight at 25 yards and, and called it good. Let, hey, let it eat. Exactly. Um, but, you know, if you're down here where... 20 yards. Down here, even 20 yards. You set your... Wherever the feeder's at, that's what you're going to set your sight and, to. And 95% um, of your shots between 20 and 30 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but going out west, if you're in, you know, a more open area, if you do a lot of ground, you know, ground to pound or spot and stock stuff... Um, you know, a multi-pin or a, a multi-pin slider style site Correct. is probably going to be a lot more beneficial to you. Yeah, exactly. And it's that we do sell the option site. We prefer it, especially if you're an elk hunter, mule deer hunter going out west. Yeah. It gives you two sites in one. It has an independent single pin that travels on its own. And then you have a, basically the front part of your site is a window that you can open and close. It has anywhere between two and eight pins. It depends on how, you know, what configuration you want mm-hmm. and what it does. The sliders, like a three pin slider, like a CB engage, you know, or a spot hog, fast Eddie XL, um, black gold makes one, the, the, uh, ascent, ascent yeah. um, trying to name them all. But if you get into those, they work great, but I can tell you from experience taking, you know, helping guys, guiding guys out there that, we had a group of guys shooting in camp 80, 100 yards with their sliders. Um, had a guy go sit on a hole, water hole, and call a bull into 34 yards, and he shoots it with his 35-yard pin and shoots 15 feet over its back. 
because he forgot to put it back to set zero. Set your <laughs> and I looked at them, pointed to the site. He just about cried, you know, and it, the, the bull would have been dead. I mean, the guy was a great archer, but that's how, and it happened to me last year, elk hunting. I had to sell my option to a customer who was going on a hunt. I had the only one in the shop, felt bad, said, I'll just sell you mine, sold it to him. I got a CBE tech hybrid hunter off the shelf. Sighted it in out to 100, went hunting, got on a bull about 75 yards and didn't work out. Um, tried to call the bull back in. When I did, I had one light up behind me, so I grabbed my bow and my pack, took off after him, get there, get full draw. He's coming up through draw on me, and he gets up, and he's a small raghorn and ended up not shooting him. But as soon as I let down, he was at 35 yards. I was like, oh, my gosh, if that would have been a shooter bull and I shot that arrow, I'd have shot 10 feet over his back. Mm-hmm. So I, personally, I won't go up there without the option anymore unless you're – really disciplined to uh to to make sure and set your sight back to what we call neutral zero which allows all your pins to be in line but yeah i everything bridger said is dead on i mean if yep. iowa midwest whitetails here in texas if you're hunting out of a particular place a single pin is just so much easier yeah. uh, but if you're a spot and stalking i'm a big advocate of making sure you have at least five pins well i mean sure. even here in texas though you never know what's going to come out a little bit past the feeder. No, exactly. We got a yeah, ton of hogs. Sitting, you're sitting in a blind. Yeah. You can just. But I want to shoot far, Bridger. Yeah, you yeah. just reach up and move your sight. Yeah, move your sight, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I, run, I run the same site you do, and except I, yeah. that I have two more pins. Yeah. And what the cool thing is that Western Mountain, most of them, if you're hunting, and even the public land, I mean, elk and mule deer, even, I don't know pronghorn as much, but the elk and muleys for sure, I'll speak for them. Um, past 50 yards, you can square dance. They'll let you get away with murder. You can just reach up and move the yeah, site. Yeah, you can reach up and move the site. And they're, they're more curious trying to figure out, what the heck are you doing way up here at 11,000 feet? You know, you're, you're not supposed to be here. You get lost, Texas short boy. Asian yeah, look at that thing. little short guy. <laughs> He's not a bear. It's a really short tree. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, um, talking about also, just to elaborate more, I don't know, Bridger talked about this, that distance. Now, I will sell you from a target perspective, and even on my hunting rig, the number one going back to target panic, the relation is movement for me. It's movement, movement, movement. If I yeah. can't get my pin to not move, I start to get a little freaked out and will induce some target panic. So I'm, I'm of the opinion, and a lot of the pros out there, I look at their setups. They run their sites, especially on 3D, way in close, as close as they can get them to the riser yeah. to, to just stop movement. Less perceived movement. Less perceived closer. Yeah. Correct. Um, so what he was asking target sites too. Yeah, as far as as far as target sites, I mean I. I run mine all the way out. That's just well, that's just me yeah, personally. But, you're shooting but I off run the it, aperture. Well, I run it like a recurve sight. Yeah. Um, as far out, but in relation with my rest, man, I I ran my rest all the way back and my sight all the way out, and it worked just fine for me last year. Yeah. Um, and I run uh, Excel Achieve. Uh, that's that's been the sight for me for the last three years. I just find it really easy to use. Uh, once once you actually read the user's manual and you realize what the clicks do, it's it's a lot more easy <laughs> yeah. to understand. Target target sites come with knobs. Yeah. yeah. And whenever you m- keep missing in the same spot, you, you can move, move them yeah. That's to it. hit in really? the middle. You're kidding. You pay $300 for a fancy set of knobs. Yeah. Use them. Use them. Yeah. That, so. is, that is one of the craziest things, you know. And I, I was, I'll tell you guys this, that... And even accomplished archers, I hear, you know, I, I coach a lady who's won two national championships in NFAA, and it's the funniest story. She's at Vegas. I may have talked about this. I, I think we did. Well, so I won't repeat it. But anyways, she doesn't move her knobs. She aims off. 
Yeah. And I'm like, Melanie, what are you doing? You know, and so what I'm saying is read your shots. If you make a good shot, you feel like you made a good shot and you do it over and over again, move the darn sight. That's what that's what the the knobs are there for. Bridger, I can tell you I've watched him do it, shoot fifteen arrows and move his sight fifteen times. I move it almost every shot. Yeah, because you're trying to find that perfect center. Well, I, I mean, I feel like I'm okay at shooting, but I'm not good enough to notice. Like, I don't even know how much it moves the sight, but like, <laughs> I'm not good enough to notice three hundred thousandths of an inch, inch or whatever yeah, it is for a right. click. I mean, but it, you'll, you'll, I hear you over there. <laughs> Well, yeah, Wind if I up. keep missing in the same spot, it's just, yeah. <laughs> 20 clicks on a uh, on an Excel site moves at one hash mark, yeah. which equals to about two hairs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's target. not very much. No, it's yeah. not. You know, so. And if you want to talk about different sites, I mean, you've got, I think some of the better ones are Excel, um, CBE, Black Gold, actually, their new one coming their out. Their new target is site is... I, I mean, it is ball. It is amazing. Tolerance-wise, I think it's probably got the best eccentric movements mm-hmm. out there. Um, I will put it up there with the Shibuya um, because I think they're one of the best also. The, I think the only thing with the black gold is a little heavier sight. I mean. It's not that much heavier. Really? I've never it's, weighed it. So. I think when they came out, we were checking them, and it was like, I don't know, 1.2 or 1.1 ounces heavier than an Achieve. Than an Achieve. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's but it's a it's, it's a like it just tricks you because you're used to seeing all these carbon sights yeah, out carbon, there and then you see something that's, that and that thing is I mean it looks it's beefy yeah I mean it's a you it brick looks like you, house man yeah. it, that thing is a chunk it, it looks l- like a system by Davis yeah it's big yeah system by Davis but it works heavy good. yep that was my very first sight I think heavy. it's still in the glass case it is in the glass case <laughs> so if anybody I'm, needs to use Davis I'm pretty sure I could attach that to a red snapper and sink it right back down home. You know another one that I used to shoot that kind of, and they're totally custom. Have you ever seen them? The DS Advantage. I think. Yeah, I've heard of them. Out of Canada. That was actually I almost bought one of those for my first yeah. site when I was getting getting started in target uh, stuff. I've heard great things about them. You just don't see a lot of them around. But um, good site though. But I mean the target sites, you you Sherlock. definitely. I think that's the one site you'll get what you pay for. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, there's uh, all these companies that all these companies that have been out for a long time, like. They're not going to be in business unless they have a decent product, right? So, exactly. as with most things with archery, well, like you said, you you're going to get what you pay for, right? And then again, also the other thing is, is that I will go a little further and say the scopes are probably are there is you, you have you have more room for improvement if you want to call it with scope setups versus the actual site that's running the, up. And well, down I mean, ridges. depending. Well, I think the reason all I'm you saying guys that, are. Absolutely insane because well, like everybody's but... shooting these 3D scopes and stuff, and you got like a three ounce scope housing. <laughs> I know. Well, it's funny you bolt say it that. on, and like there's two plastic gibs and a, a, a little knob holding yeah. that whole thing on, and everybody wonders why their sights all rattle loose. Well, I look through, and I'm gonna tell you there's a difference because I'm shooting a Feather Vision lens from Shrewd and um, on a 35 millimeter housing, and Bridger's got a 29, and it was a clear target lens. Yep. There is a big difference. Oh, get a good I mean, lens, man. Huge. And I I was always of the opinion, ah, lens is a lens. You know, it's kinda like Swarovski versus Nikon. Um, there's a difference. And they're not that much more expensive from a lens, but I think I learned this not even what, last week? 
You every I time you pick my bow, bow I look through it and I was out. like, "Oh my gosh, I have never seen that good." And I'm like, "Dude, that's my and indoor think, setup. Yeah. Where I don't even, I have no clarifiers, nothing." And I, it was amazing. So. Everybody thinks I'm nuts when I say like I can, I can draw back and put my pin in the middle, yeah, of a twelve ring at fifty yards on a deer target because I can see it. So that was a four power lens you had in there. I the run a I four at, for the one in, I looked at. Yeah, I run a four for indoor and then a six so for 3D. This is no BS. I could literally see the cut edges of your hole marks, like mm-hmm. where your arrow went in. You know how sometimes I'll get a little tear in them? Yeah. I literally could see those tears. I could not see that on a feather vision. There's just no way. And maybe it's just my setup. I don't know. But I could be wrong. But that was pretty, oh, pretty the amazing. More get it, you get know. It. And most good, most lenses, I mean, it's just like. When you get in, when you get into upper end optics, yeah, Swaro Zeiss, uh, like a, um, even some of the upper end, um, Steiners, Maven and Steiners, Vortex stuff, it's all going to be personal preference. Yeah, I know for me, like I can see way better through that clear target lens than I can anything else, and that's why I run them. Right. Um, but I know guys that can't. I know I talked to Chance. He said he messed around with them. He thought they were good lines, but he said he could just he just well, couldn't see Doc's, anything through them. Isn't Doc's Choice another good one I've heard? That's the that's the model. Like that's the upper end model of Clear Target. Gotcha. Okay. Doc's Choice is their top of the line. Top of the line one. But okay. like Chance said, he could he just had trouble seeing through them. And he's like, not that they're bad lines. I just right. My feather vision was clear, or whatever mm-hmm. he's running now. Yeah, that's why some people wear contacts, some people wear glasses. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just eye. personal preference, and it sucks to say like, "Hey, go try it. Just try a bunch of different lenses, yeah. and they're 150 50 bucks, bucks a pop. piece." Yeah, but I mean, gotcha. you, most of your, if you're shooting shooting in a group with a lot of guys, most of you guys are going to have a little bit different stuff. Yeah, um, so just play around. Well, and the other thing is, is to be careful because I <laughs> I always get a joke. I mean, get a kick out of people that do lenses, and they'll you know, go from no lens and then they'll throw a four power in and they're like, Oh my God, I'm moving everywhere. This lens is way, you know, and I'm just, it's moving too much. Well, you're, you're moving the same amount. You just happen to see it. You now. see four times as much. Exactly. <laughs> so you have to get very, very comfortable on what I call shooting the float. I mean, yeah. float the well, pin, shoot it. I, I mean, even for me, I ran a four power forever and it takes me about two weeks at the start of 3d season, getting get used to six. a six power oh, going. Yeah. And I've shot a four power for four months. probably, well, four months for like fourteen years. Yeah, right. Since I started shooting open or freestyle stuff, I shot a four power. So go even for me going to that six, it takes me a couple of weeks to get used to seeing that excess movement. Oh yeah, and you're not moving any more or any less. You're right. just seeing the movement now. Yep, that's all it is. So yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I remember at the beginning of the indoor season, I I actually throw on a peep and a scope on my bow for the first time in two years. I think it lasted like an hour. <laughs> yeah. Nope. I. I'm everywhere. What's yeah. going on? I can't next, even get on the target. <laughs> next time I do that, remind me to take some Dramamine or yeah, something. Exactly. It was it was bad. So <laughs> go ahead. I guess I guess with the with the scope issue in the site, you know, depending on your seriousness of of competitiveness, investing in in good equipment is definitely going to get you yeah. a better result. I mean, if you just want, I won't say bottom of the barrel because they make good stuff and I still yeah. shoot their housings, but especially these. Uh, Gosh, they're, they're plastic. They're clear ones. Mm-hmm. They're clear, uh, clear um, super scopes. I think it, yes. it's yeah. called. But that one's fairly the inexpensive. Houses. It's less, well under hundred dollars. Right. Um, their lenses. I shot their lens for years, and it was I shot great with it. It was yeah. fine. It's just a standard polycarbonate lens. You yeah. can get that for well less than a hundred bucks for a scope setup. Um, and then if you're just wanting to spend less money, you can run, you know, either a, a like the Trueball AX series stuff. Yep. Um, the CBE Tech series, 
Well, you hear something crazy. Um, There's one out there. The you ever seen the Merlin? Yeah. The Merlin, Merlin comes with a lens and a scope and a dot or a pin, and it's like what hundred. 20 bucks? I don't know. That's what Mike Slusher shoots. Slusher shoots that? Yeah. He shot one. Of, I, I don't know if he still does that. He right. shot one of those forever. Yeah. And they, well, I, I've seen one because actually an old fellow part, uh, old customer of mine had one and I looked through it and I was like, eh, it's not a bad. It's a Nikon yeah. lens. I know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's called but, a Merlin. I mean, right. if you're just looking for more inexpensive stuff. Yeah, so exactly. you talk about that specialty housing. Andre Shelby went and won the Rio Paralympics with that yeah. housing. Oh, back in the day, that, that was a scope. No, Eric was Jones. Four years ago. Eric Jones, Eric Anschutz, previous, like she, that's all she shot was yep. one of those one, one of those scopes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, next question, Jaybird. All right. Uh, as west as it gets, wants to know, getting used to higher holding weight for target archery, how to load the back, relax the forearm, et cetera. Shoot your bow more. Get you some more weight. It's just like, I mean, it's seriously, <laughs> it's just like shooting or going to the weight room. Like yeah. if you go, like if you figure out that you're, you're, you know, if you're shooting 12 pounds of holding weight before and you jump up to 20, they'd be like knowing that your max on bench is 135. And then you walk into the gym on a Tuesday and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to do 225 today. Like it's, just, <laughs> it's not going to work out well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, just slow incremental increase. Um, you know, if you most bows today, you can adjust all that. Um, I know, like I shoot the elites, you can take the draw stops and move them in. Either on some of their older bows, some of the like the victories, you can take and it's on a little slide deal, so you could adjust it as right. small of an increment as you'd like. Right. Um, yeah. That new result, you can go. I think it's every five percent. Yep. On that guy, so it'll go from ninety or eighty-five all the way up to seventy or seventy-five percent. Um. The Hoyts have different draw modules that you can get. Uh, the Primes, you can move all them around. Right. I think about the only one that you can't really do anything with is the Matthews. And even they have the 70V and then the 80. Right. So. Yeah, there's definitely. I mean, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, there's. I, I am of the opinion because I've coached so many, being a new shop, we've had so many archers come in here in the last, you know, two, three years that are just starting. and. I've always started them off max, I mean, 80%, 85%, because they've got to learn how to shoot the bow and hold it confidently, mm-hmm. you know. And then once they start developing the muscle structure to to start handling it, the first sign of it will be my pin's moving all over the place, you know. And, yeah. And if you've put enough stabilizer weight on to accommodate that and it's still moving everywhere, okay, now we got to go to holding weight because you're pulling too hard. They're learning how to pull. You know, it's funny because I think that a lot of new archers go through the – I believe that truly good target archery, I've always said it, is good control of your front hand, back hand. Knowing how to relate pressure on both ends equally or, you know, truly it's supposed to be a 60-40. And that's, that's subjective in itself. But when you learn how to manage those pressures will help you dictate how much holding weight, how much mm-hmm. stabilizer weight you can handle. And that takes years and years. and Or not so much years, it takes arrows. Like a lot you said, of arrows, shooting. A lot of time. A lot of shooting, a lot of time. But yeah, I mean, play with it. Move slowly. Move your weight up. Yeah. Don't like I said. Don't go. Don't go from eighty to sixty. Yeah. Like <laughs> you, don't go from holding ten pounds of holding weight to like getting all gung ho throwing sixty five percent mods on there. Yeah. And all of a sudden now you're holding twenty eighteen to twenty yeah. pounds. You I mean, know, and even if like on the Matthews where you can't incrementally adjust it, lower your draw weight, man. Right. Like, well, you know, and even. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I watched my step my stepson Adam go through this. You know, there are certain manufacturers, and I'll go ahead and say it. I'm not the big a deal, but like Elite and Prime, you maximize those draw stops, you're going to become a lazy shooter. Oh in, yeah, it in was a real like, big hurry. 
It was like watching a dog push out peach pits <laughs> when he was Adam was trying to shoot, shoot that, that Matthews. That Matthews at the seven. Oh, it killed him because he shot that elite for two years and shot and, it great. And he would just get the full get, draw and just, just lay back. Yeah, get relaxed. And the bow would just hold itself with we'll hold it exactly. And then I he can't do that. And well, and that's what and it's crazy because but I see a lot of people do that. Those mm-hmm. two brands are known for their back walls. I mean, you shoot their hunting bows, my lord, you can hold them for an eternity push them forward to get them to go down it's almost spooky yeah it is and then you go to a hoyt or a matthews and that's gone and Mm -hmm. you've you've forgotten how to use your back you know i call it how to engage the back muscles to stay into the shot and it'll make you a lazy shooter so you got to pay attention to that because i know bridger you shoot an elite now but Mm -hmm. you shoot it at 60 percent let off and i still yeah i mean you're still looking for holding weight yeah sometimes like well on that for me on that result i am a little bit but like i still run for me i just bumped up my holding weight or bumped up my draw weight to get it to get it right um but i have always shot like 16 somewhere between 16.3 and 16.8 pounds of holding weight right so and for me that's that's more than plenty so that's where i just leave it exactly um as far as like how much you want to shoot that's that's all personal preference preference. i think most most guys on the pro circuit are between probably 15 somewhere between 15 and 20 yeah i mean depending on the bow depending on the type of shooter they are. Yep. A lot of 3D guys run a little bit less weight. Correct. Um, a lot of feet and target guys well, run a little bit more. We just had that conversation at subject. Uh, Scott Gordon, one of our staff shooters, is going through. He had never understood stabilization of the bow, for example, and and holding weight. And we talk, I talked with him through him with this, and he called. He texted me tonight, actually at the gym, you know, wanting to increase his holding weight because he's just coming out of indoor. And I said, "Well, time out. You just made all these big stabilizer changes. You've increased your holding weight." for indoor but now to go back in and do more for 3d i think it's a little dangerous because you don't have an x to look at you don't have a dot to shoot at you're looking at an area so your shot sequence is going to be a little more stressed anyways because you're trying to find that spot and dude my shot is probably four five seconds longer exactly because i get the full draw i was like where where am i supposed to be So with that being said, you got to be careful on increasing that holding weight because you will start stressing yourself out. And once again, I hate to use that word, but you can start inducing a little bit of TP. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the holding weight <laughs> needs to be maybe going the other way a little bit when it comes to 3D. Yeah. But. Well, and again, just like everything else, we can put on a broken record of us oh, saying yeah. it, but it's, it's all personal it's preference. It's personal preference, yeah, exactly. Well, we'll guide you the best we can So on that side. but just Shoot your bow. Yep, shoot your bow. But yeah, as far as like getting but more, was there yeah, another part to bow. that question? Uh, how to load your back and relax your forearms? But I mean, well, that's a I, big one. I think I think shooting your bow. Uh, well, as far as just moving up in weight. Now, as yeah. far as that kind of dives more into form, yeah, than anything else. I mean, Scott, you teach a little bit different than I do. Um, like I teach more to load. Or low, no, I always forget because I'm not a kinesiologist, but uh, uh, traps. Uh-huh. Those are up at the top, right? Yeah, the top. So traps. for me, I yeah, always you should taught... know what they're called, Bridger. Yeah, because you have none. Wait, 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 take it back. You have no neck because of those traps. So, <laughs> which we're so getting into way, that here in a minute. The way the way I always teach, and the way that I was taught, and the way that I shoot is, I'll get the full draw, load up my lats down at the bottom, and then I'll come up and load my traps at the top. Right. And I do that to keep my elbow back in alignment and keep so that when I start pulling, I'm going back in a straight line as opposed to being all lats coming and down. all dealt and coming down on the release, which caught, for me always caused a lot of high misses. Right. So I would load up my traps at the, up at the top of my back so that, it, you know, I'm 
that's more for direction thing more than it is shot activation. Right. Um, as far as relaxing your forearm, I mean, I, hell, I'll probably say that my forearm is not that relaxed because of how I grip the release. But, um, I mean, that too, just practice making sure your biggest thing, it's not so much your forearm as it is your wrist. Your wrist so, yeah. like, with shooting a compound, which I'm assuming this guy is, if he's asking about holding weight, um, your wrist alignment and everything is going to be very different than shooting a recurve. Correct. Because with a recurve, you're having to tense up your fingers more to be able to hold more weight. Right. So you're always going to have that bend or that goofy L crooked deal with your wrist. Compound, you don't want that. Right. Because you're holding, once you get to full draw, you're holding less weight. So you're able to relax your, it's more relaxing your wrist than it is relaxing your forearm. Right. So. Yeah. And I, I agree. So Bridger is right. We, him and I differ a little bit on this. I don't, um, I do coach more lat and I'm try, I try to drive elbow down because um, mm-hmm. uh, most people will mount a hinge vertically and to help with that dreaded word of rotation if you drive down it's easier to get you're that moving you're moving around. That, yeah you're moving that around so if you have a flat you know a flat mounting uh, anchor point on your on your um, under your chin and some guys do they'll put the two knuckles right up under their, their mm-hmm. chin and they're a flat shooter I'll try to coach them to engage more of the what's the, the muscle that sits underneath the, your the delt shoulder line. blade. The yeah. rhomboid. Is the rhomboid. Is the rhomboid. Okay, so none, the rhomboid. None of, to, to preface this, none of us are doctors exactly, or kinesiologists, exactly. so we have no idea. But I know we usually, the internet. Yeah. We usually walk up and point. <laughs> and point and, and poke and poke prod. people and say, use this yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, that's the thing. So if you have a flat one, you're wanting, you're wanting to pull the elbow back around, and I'll call it wrapping the elbow around the head, and that it, it makes the rhomboid muscle fires that shot. And so I yeah. think a lot of it depends on anchor point, your form, but... I don't think it's a right or wrong answer because what Bridger's talking about, he is giving his his elbow direction yeah. going straight back by engaging the trap. And that also is going to keep your elbow high. Because like me, I probably should use that more because I have a bad you habit. Have a bad of, low elbow. I have a bad low elbow. I don't know. I, and I can't jo- feel that. George, George Riles, I mean, he has a lot of awesome information. He's got all kinds of goofy sayings like squeeze a chicken egg yeah. and grab the money and all yeah. that garbage. Um, but he has a lot of stuff that goes very in depth, but is in good layman's terms to where if you're not a doctor like us, you can understand right. it. Right. Um, and it's a little bit easier to learn over his videos cause you're able to see, see it, it. Right. Able to see it a little bit. Um, but I'd go and look at his, some of his stuff. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Cause there's, there, are, you know, and that's the one thing I, you know, a lot of guys will get online and I'm a big advocate of this and talk about, you know, this is the holy grail. This is how you do it. And I think the human body is so different. We use muscles differently. We do things differently. Mm-hmm. And you have to build that shot process around what you do well or what you are, what God has given you there's, as far as strength and muscle I control. I, I, like I said, there, I don't think there's any 100% exclusive right way to right. shoot a bow. Right. I mean, there's some fundamentals. There's some fundamentals and stuff, but there's no like set form way of doing everything right. right. Now, there's very few ways to do stuff wrong, and right. a lot of people do it wrong. Well, like <laughs> but, the, here's the but there's the, a lot there's a plethora of fixes for a lot of well. Issues. The big one is like for example, uh, and you can see you see this all the time. I'll see a lot of archers. You can look down the line, at a, even at Vegas, I've seen it, and you're looking down the line, and you can see these folks with releases, hinges, or or you know even thumbs, and their hand never leaves her face. 
you know darn well they have no back muscle engaged whatsoever. No. Because if you don't, if your rear your release hand's not flying backwards, you're not using your back. Well, period. To some degree, yeah. But there's just no way. But as far as yeah, with him, as far as loading up, um, I don't know, messing around with stuff. Like I said, go. I would go encourage him to go look at uh, George's George's videos information yeah. because or he gets get a, a good, lot more in depth. A good coach, or you, go to your shop if you have a good coach. Yeah, um, somebody that kind of understands that stuff. That's yeah. kind of going back into the releases and in, um, shot sequence and all well, that. Well, I've stuff, always but, thought the next progression for us is to take this podcast and now. Let's take the information we're talking about verbally and let's go put it to practice on a YouTube video and build our YouTube channel. Because I think between all of us sitting here, we can build some pretty good More lab coats and <laughs> point at a whiteboard with, <laughs> with sticks. Geek, geeky horn room glasses on. Yeah. Yeah, well, Bridget, wait, but it's even better. Bridger can take off his shirt and show us the muscles and how we fire those. Uh, with those. Well, no, I'll he's, turn it's around perfect. so you can't see my beer gut. Okay. He's, he's got those big traps. You know, we can say, okay, here's how you fire this bl- trap, and people are going to be like, it's <laughs> shoulders, nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, now, well, no, but, and, I, I think we can do some Instagram live videos or something like that to yeah, start off exactly. with. Exactly. But no, those are good questions, and uh, I want to piggyback. Yeah, and w- anyways, yeah, anyways, we, we can mm-hmm. move on with that one, but that's, that's good information. Good questions. Is that all we had, or is that pretty much it? Yeah, every uh, everything else was people saying hi. Oh, gotcha. Well, saying, hello, hello. Giving hi. us giving <laughs> us some feedback on on how we're doing. You know, little pats on the back. So, for those of you guys that don't know, we do have a podcast page now. It's at LEA Podcast. So please go give us a follow. Uh, send in more questions, comments. Let us know so we can touch up on on the subject again in a in a couple episodes, and uh, we'll let you know uh, when we're doing the next user questions. Right. Um, but let's let's get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. No, let's go bump you up. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit of this fitness and not just fitness pizza in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's master. Uh, that's a good subject because you know I've I've uh, I'm probably the at least at 51 years old I'm working my tail off to stay as young as these two guys sitting next to me and um, it's and actually I I'll be honest I do it for one reason so elk season that's it um, it helps me on the mountain get around and it helps me make sure I can keep up with clients or guys that I hunt with friends because most of my friends are younger than me from a hydration standpoint if there's no. any doctors listening to the show. Please write in and tell Scott that not drink drinking water, water, not drinking water, does not turn yeah. the human body into a camel. Well, so yeah, he, I, Scott thinks that like, oh, if I, if, I, if I don't drink any water, true story, I'm though. gonna be used to it. I so can, I can I won't literally eat it on the mountain. I can literally function on the mountain. I can go about a day and a half on a liter of water. You can function, but your body can't. Well, I do okay. And like today, they're getting on me because I, I ran five miles this morning, went to the gym this afternoon. And you know what's funny? I've been sitting here like dying of thirst because I I have drank. You have a whole Topo Chico right there. It's like five days old. <laughs> you just opened no, that. No, no. This has been here for a while. Um, but no, I I have literally drank. I don't think I've drank a bottle of water, but I had a protein shake. That's liquid. and <laughs> They're always on me about that. I don't drink enough water. That's for sure. Anyways, let's moving on. Um, no, but it was kind of cool because, you know, Jason came to me back, Jason, when we start in October, I think right when I got back from elk season. Uh, yeah, we talked about it in October and then, and uh, we said, you know what, November 1st, yeah, we're going to, we're going to start. And yeah. it was kind of a, a bit of a challenge because it was like 
kind of felt like uh, you're not going to do it. Yeah. And uh, I think for both of us, it was one of those, no, you're not going to do it. No, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Well, hold my beer, bro. Well, no, you hold my beer. <laughs> well, this is a true story. Started. Yeah, because I, I work out pretty much every week, all week. I run a lot. And um, Jason came to me and said, look, I, you know, I want to get ready for Tokyo. And I said, look, the first thing we got to do is get you physically fit. Um, to just to, to, to get over the, be able to handle the rigors of archery. I mean, believe me, guys, people don't realize this, but this guy's shooting outside in the summertime. I mean, I heard some crazy stories of 136 degrees at ground temperature at some mm-hmm. of these events. That'll, that'll take it out of you in a hurry. And yep. so anyways, Jason and I wanted to get him involved, but it's been cool because what he's saying is true. He now, between Bridger, myself, and, and probably, and definitely Jason, and probably less about me, we hold ourselves accountable. Like I really didn't want to go rock out tonight. I ain't gonna lie. I was trying every way in the world to get out of that. <laughs> and these two clowns said, you were, "No, we're you did last week, last week Monday too. You made us sit around till I, ten p.m. before we went and worked He was out. sitting there pitching some awesome dinner ideas. Yeah. And then, <laughs> anyways, you know. But once we get to the gym, it's always awesome. And so they have actually helped me a lot. And, it's, and I'm probably the the elder statesman when it comes to working out between the three of them. But no, he came to me in November, and I'll tell you, it's been amazing because um, Jason's transformation has been horrendous because it's what you, I, I tonight, you were doing the entire stack plate, 195 pounds on lap pull downs. And I know when we first started, you were barely at 100. Yeah. Yeah. Give or take a couple pounds. I always, I just always think of Jace, uh, Courtney, Jason's wife, whenever we bring, or the last time we had brought up working up, yeah. working out around her. Oh, yeah, I can tell he's working out. His body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she said it just like that, too. <laughs> that long, drawn-up body. <laughs> still, still waiting for those relaxed hey, you abs, guys, too. You guys to can't see him, but he's red. Because I'm hot. You're blushing. Because he's Mexican. <laughs> yeah. He's Mexican. <laughs> no, but it's been it's been awesome because his, his, his strength, and, well, you know, true story, working with him, I have learned so much about the pair of guys. Um, doing so much research on how to help him train him but not hurt him, in other words. And then, you know, where he needs help as far as pushing here, where I got to hold him back on his shoulders to help. Because Jason is basically no feeling from what, middle of the chest down, Jay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Around there. Um, So for medical terms, it's right around the T1 level. Yeah. So what? Nipple south. Nipple south. Top. Top side. Down. (laughs) Down. Yeah. So what people don't realize is that, yeah, he's – you know, he doesn't have a core to work with. So even to like tonight, and I've been doing a little bit here and there, but tonight I did our entire workout. I did it on a stool and pick, pick my feet up off the ground. And I will tell you for you guys that like to work out a lot, go try that sometime, take away your core. And when you're doing curls or take away your core, when you're doing lat pull downs, um, you will be shocked. It's total 100% muscle isolation. Matter of fact, I even said, man, I was going to create a whole new workout thing called the, you know, the crip workout or something like that. No offense to people. Patent pending. Yeah. Patent pending. And, uh, because it is amazing. I mean, the, the amount of stress it puts on that muscle, the isolation that it creates, the inability to rock on curls. Um, it's unbelievable. And it, it's, I think has done wonders for me. And that's why I think it's working so well for Jason. And then to kind of jump ship, then, you know, Bridger, I know when he first moved here in August, seen how much we were working out. Well, you got it crazy because you have no flexibility if you work out a lot, and that's why you're shooting bad and this and that. And it's been kind of cool because, admittedly, Bridge, you feel better than you probably ever have. Yeah. Recent I mean, memory. That, 
not from a BMI perspective, but uh, <laughs> that's because we live in Texas and yeah. we love tacos. Well, oh, wait, God, no, wait, wait, wait. It's but, like not from a BMI perspective, <laughs> but uh, like from a in shape perspective, yeah. this is the best shape I've been in my entire life. Yeah. Um, and you've been you've me, been hammering with us for what about six eight weeks now? Probably roughly. more than that. Maybe more than that now. Yeah, about three months now. Yeah, middle of December. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. For me, it's weird because I. I I mean, you always give me crap because you always say, oh, there's no way you're going to be able to shoot tomorrow. But, like, I don't know. I feel like I recover a lot faster. Yeah. Um, I'm able to shoot more. Um, I notice – I mean, I'm just getting stronger. I put right. more weight, a little bit more weight on my bow right. now. But I feel like I can hold a hell of a lot steadier. Um, like, on days where I hold well. There were days where I held well before and I felt like it didn't move. Like, right. I feel like I have a lot more of those days now. Right. Um and for those of you who don't get a chance to see Bridger, we're going to try to get him to show you his massive physique. He ha- there's a reason why he holds good. He has no neck. His tra- your traps dude, I just have are big huge. shoulders. Dude. No, no, no. It's your traps. They're huge. My shoulders. I just have big if, shoulders. If you could see Jason do his imitation of, of Bridger in the gym, it is the funniest thing you've ever seen. In your life. Get a good pump going, bro. It's hard not to. Oh yeah, but archery's done wonders for your upper body. Let's put it that way, because he is a big boy. Um, no, but I, I'm all seriousness aside, um, watching you just in the 12 weeks you've been working out with us, I remember, you know, cause I, I observe things about, you know, to make sure people aren't going to get hurt and stuff. And you, I remember when you started out, even on lat pull downs, I think you were, or lat rows, you were sitting around that hundred, 110, maybe 120. And tonight you were busting out 175. Like I started like at 145. I about died tonight. I was like, he is hammering tonight. And that's cool because it's so you, you oh, just for, mentioned it. I mean, you definitely feel like you have more longevity now from a stamina standpoint. Oh holding, yeah. hundred percent. And especially stuff. because of the way, like I work out a little different than you guys do. Um, yeah. I try and go a little more high intensity. Correct. Which for me ends up turning into the last 30 minutes. I'm just standing <laughs> around there making fun of you guys. Cause I'll, I'll, for you me, I, it. yeah, for me, I like to turn and burn. I'll get there. I'll, I'll run one or two miles and then, go and work through the workout, but I'll do, I don't know some, I don't know what workout terms are, but I think people call them supersets or something, yeah, but yeah. like, like I'll do three different exercises all at the same time. Back-to-back, so I'll back-to-back. do low rows and I'll run around and do ab crunch or do uh, uh, leg raises and then I'll run and do bench press and then come back around to low rows. So, and I'll switch between those three and then I'll turn around and switch and do squats, tricep pull downs and, uh, something else, right. you know, yeah. butterflies or something like that. Well, you're pretty much running a, a small circuit. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's just cause like coming from a runner's background, which is hard to believe with how big I am, but no, like, I've run with him. He's a runner, but, uh, coming from a runner's background, I just like that elevated heart rate. Right. So for me, that's what I've always done. And I think for me, like when I shot, when I was working out a lot before and shot, well, I was always running. So I was always a elevated heart rate workout right so and especially just because of the zero that i run at, I, I could be sitting here right now and i take too long of a breath and talk too long and my heart rate will spike to 120 right like just sitting around not doing anything i'm at like a 90 right so i naturally have a higher heart rate anyways so yeah. so talk about the misconception because i've heard this a lot from a lot of people you know i remember when rio wild did it he lost a crap load of weight one year and and probably had not 
one of his better years. And then I think he, and I've heard rumors that he ended up putting the weight back on for a reason. Um, you know, there's a lot of speculation around the fact that you put on muscle mass, you are losing flexibility. And we, we definitely have to be flexible in the upper body with the shoulders and in the back um, when it comes to executing the shot. I mean, so what's your take on that as far as what you've well, I mean, seen working out? I used to have that, to that. Like I always hated when I would work out before and in the past I would only do, I would only do uh, like running, trail running, hiking, that type of stuff. And then like body weight. Right. Cause I, for me, I always said, like, I got no interest in building body mass and building muscle mass because I in turn would lose flexibility. Right. Now looking at it now, like I go in the gym, I mean, you know, I usually hit it pretty hard and yeah. go pretty heavy, but like, and unless you're going to try and turn into Arnold, <laughs> like, I don't think you have any issue of losing flexibility, especially like you watch, I, I'm stretch. I stretch between every yeah. set. And you use the, uh, the PVC bar to mm-hmm. keep your shoulders wide open. So like I stretch as long as you move a lot and all that, I think, and I'm, this is a hundred, hundred percent speculation, Correct. but I think with Rio, some of his issue was that he dropped so much weight so quickly that his body didn't slowly come into that so that he like went from zero to a hundred uh-huh. and, or a hundred to zero, I guess. Yeah, he's exactly. weight, but, yeah. um, but like his time for his body to adjust wasn't there. Right. So for me, like, I don't even notice that I'm bigger than I am when we started working out. He's bigger. But like, well, but I mean, like from a, a shooting standpoint, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Like I, it, I never really, I'm not even sure I had a little dip here and there and I had a couple tournaments where I didn't shoot well, but I, I never attributed it to working because out. I was working out. Right. Um, because I, I mean, it's been a pretty slow process and mm-hmm. which I mean, it always is the biggest, the easiest way to lose weight and build muscle and do all that. The first thing you got to have is time. Yeah. So, well, and your big thing too, is that I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I've said it before, I've know a lot of guys who lift like Blake Kidder who is our elite rep if you guys have never seen him google him or he's a manimal yeah he's a manimal he is a giant um, crossfit craziness and um, you would be a lot like him if you lifted that much you'd be big yeah. huge but you I mean got, even you have the physique but even Blake huge human being scary to look at sometimes but you don't know super him. flexible but yeah crazy flexible oh, yeah so I mean I don't think there's any problem or concern with that at least not with me anymore yeah i'm not at all that's not even in the back of my head anymore when i'm shooting well you so. know you you even look at a lot of the you know um, some of the pros that are out there i mean jeff hopkins what 10 years ago was probably what three times the man he is today i mean body mass wise he's pretty thin he looks like he's lost a lot, he's of, lost weight. A little weight, a lot yeah. of weight i mean and there's a lot of guys that i think are going in that direction because there's no doubt that you're going to build longevity within the sport if you keep yourself in tip-top shape you know and and um i think the entire community of archery the outdoor industry as a whole um they're making the sport more athletic you know white tail fit. yeah white tail fit uh elk shape um gosh there's so many of them out there. on the hunting on the hunting side of it, it is huge yeah it's huge i'm surprised it's not bigger on the target side i mean look at look when you go back and you look at golf which is easy to compare to archery we had guys, I mean, guys like, you have guys like John Daly, uh-huh. and then, but Tiger, when he came into it, he was like one of the only guys at the time that was working Fit. out a bunch, yeah. doing all this, like, doing all kinds of weight room stuff, and he was so dominant, obviously, and right. now, even present day, you can look, Rory. like, well, like, Rory He's just huge. started blowing up because he got huge. Bryson DeChambeau, his average driving distance last year was 
like 302 yards. And at the WGC in Mexico this past week, he led drive, led the field in driving distance at like 355. Yeah, it's crazy. In like a five months period, five month period. Just but I mean, put, you don't need to be a massive human being right. to be good at golf or be huge. But like all these guys that are not necessarily gym rats, but people that invest time in their body and to make it work better, which is essentially what you're doing when you mm-hmm. work out, uh-huh. they're able to push their body more to the limit and get more out of what they're doing. Yeah, without a doubt. There's no doubt about it. Well, I mean, Jason, I mean, for you, I know you unfortunately had a big setback because with the surgery, you know, gallbladder yeah. surgery. But, I mean, even but prior to that, I mean, talking about what it did for you, you're what – we, What we did, I think, was probably the best way to go at it. You know, we started that, that build-up phase mm-hmm. where we went hard and, and started building in strength. That's, building, that's low reps, building mass. high weight. Exactly. Um, and we were just getting into that maintenance phase where we were going high reps. Um and I think what was it the first day we did that? We both surprised each other, knocked out over six hundred reps. Yeah, that whole that whole workout. But I mean, going into going into surgery, um, I felt relatively confident going in it. Like yeah. I was in in pretty good shape, and and I was going to be okay. Um, Friday this this Friday that passed was my fourth my fourth week my four week mark, and the doctor finally gave me the the checkered flag. He said, "You're good to go. You can go back." Um, so we went and worked out today and just, just from where we left off to where I was today, I, I think I was in pretty good shape. Well, plus your recovery after the surgery, I think was, was a lot faster, a lot faster than normal yeah. for someone in your situation. Definitely a lot faster. And a lot of that's got to do with your physical shape going in. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt about it. I think. Um, yeah. I mean, you've, you've got to, you've got to take care of yourself, um, to go into, into something hard like that, uh, the, the better you prep, the better the outcome is going to be. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the biggest things for me, I think is as we started working out and I started losing, losing some weight, things started becoming a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. The, the shooting, you know, it, it didn't really affect me too much because like Bridger said, I did it gradually. So my body was adjusting as we were going. Um, and by the time I, I came into surgery, I was in a, in the best spot possible. Yeah. So, and, and I'll tell you folks, you know, Jason's biggest hurdle, um, in this entire transformation. And one of the things I think most people struggle with when they get into the gym and start lifting and working out, you know, I'm going to take a step back a little bit before I comment that, that a lot of people, there's a misconception. If they do a lot of cardio, they're going to lose weight. And I will tell you here and now, I'm not a physiologist. I'm not a kinesiologist, but I've done enough research on it, done it myself, um, personally that you, when you're lifting weights, lifting weights will burn more calories per day than any amount of running or cardio is going to do. Cardio is going to be a short-term burn. Um, lifting weights, shredding muscles, and having your body rebuild them is a 24-hour process. Yeah. And with that, and this is Jason's big issue, so now to come back full circle, he didn't eat enough. Um, right now, that's his biggest hurdle. And a lot of people don't take into account when you are going to go into a into any type of a workout phase and, and start to try to transform your body and make yourself stronger, give yourself longevity, um, help your cardiomuscular endurance, you got to eat. You got to fuel the engine. And a lot of people have this misconception that, okay, I want to lose weight. I've got to quit eating and work out more, quit eating and run more. And it just doesn't work that way. Nope. I mean, that's been a struggle for you. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, mainly because of, yeah, it's a horrible excuse, but I, I just don't plan 
No. Too well ahead of time. I need to. I need to get better at that. Yeah. That whole meal planning thing actually works. Well, sometimes you'll Um, be here at at the here at the shop. And we've worked out maybe a morning workout at 10 o'clock, and I make him drink a shake afterwards, which he doesn't like to do. And he can't really because his body doesn't process protein as well as ours does because of his situation. But we'll go, and it'll be like 5.30, and I'm like, dude, have you eaten lunch yet? No. And I just want to strangle him because he's almost wiped out all the gains for that morning because his body is starving you know, for, for energy. And uh, I'm, I'm getting a little bit better at that. Definitely the... The feeling part um, for myself, and this is just personally speaking. And if there's anybody out there that's in in my situation, anybody that's got a spinal cord injury or anything like that, um, one of the biggest things that I was blessed with, and I say blessed in, in quotes, is I can no longer sweat. Nope. So he doesn't. A cardio workout for me really doesn't do much because nope. you know I'm not I'm not putting I'm not getting rid of that that excess water. Um, so lifting weights has been the best thing, uh, for losing weight, you know, yeah, getting my muscles to, to eat all that stored fat, all those late night tacos with Bridger. Um, <laughs> Bridger's definitely evil, shout evil out to, lie now. Yeah. Uh, shout dang, out to what's the taco place by your house? Taco Boulevard. Oh, shout out Taco Boulevard. Let's get yeah. a sponsor from them. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. Damn. No, no, no. By the but, way, if you're ever in San, North San Antonio. Taco Get off of 1604 on Blanco, and there's a place called Taco Boulevard right behind a Chick-fil-A and a Whataburger. It is the best. Unbelievable. <laughs> Bridger says the best around. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. I want to go there now. Well, you know, it's funny. But, you talk about, you know, so from a nutrition standpoint, you know, we I think we all, like even tonight, we went got sushi, and Bridger made some incredibly healthy He was the healthiest. He well, was the healthiest. I mean, you and I were pretty healthy. Yeah. Bridger was over healthy, though. He, he was surprisingly healthy. Um, but, no, he, one of the big things is also with the nutrition, you know, a lot of these diets, fads that go on, the, the what do they call it, the keto and the paleo diet and all these crazy things, you know, and all the years that I've been doing it and I've been eating pretty clean generally for a while now, you know, you got – I'm a firm believer in cheat days. you got to be able to cheat, whether that be a Saturday, Sunday, Friday, you got to pick a day. And pretty much eat pizza, drink beer, do whatever it is that you want to do and eat the way you want to do it. Because I think that psychologically, if you don't do that, then all the things that you're doing and working out for are for not. Well, that and it just lowers the stress on your body, too, because you're like psychologically, especially. Yes. Lowers the stress on your body and your mind. Thinking about like, man, I really hate eating these kale chips all day when all I want to do is mm-hmm. like eat Pound three <laughs> three freaking cheeseburgers from in and out or whatever right. you want to do water burger you know what's funny well we were we were at, we were at church this Sunday and uh our pastor is pastor Jacob Diaz is a big he's a big boy he's a health nut and um works out a lot does a lot of jujitsu and they were talking about you know whatever you do don't get in the way of his Sunday cheat day because he's gonna hammer some whataburger that's his cheat day, <laughs> and he he confirmed it. He eats Whataburger every Sunday after uh, after church. That's his cheat meal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, there's you're, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of diets out there. There's a lot of fads. But one thing that I always uh, I always took into consideration, my my CrossFit coach in Germany always said, and don't diet. Just change your lifestyle. Yeah. If if you have to sit there and follow a diet, it's going to be yeah. a quick fix. Well, you're not moving enough. Now, if you change yeah. your if you change your lifestyle. 
You'll you'll make eat, healthier eat, choices. Eat one cookie instead of three. Drink right. drink two beers instead of twelve. Well, it's like tonight. You know, I walked by those gosh darn cupcakes that your <laughs> wife made. Jason. They're still I, out there. Courtney Brassard, if you're listening, <laughs> quit doing that. We, Jason and I were up in front, now we here from the back of the store. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> well, I go back there to go turn the lights off, and I walk back, and Jason, I know, did this on purpose. They were sitting on a chair right in the middle of the aisle <laughs> like glowing yes and they're calling my name and i'm starving to death i hadn't eaten and uh i walked by him and i'm like here comes, I, I, here i can't do it here comes scott with cherry Jesus, frosting he all over the, his face he yelled in the back and we both looked at each other he's like oh yeah he finally saw those cupcakes yeah <laughs> courtney is i have very little willpower but you know what jason's saying is right i mean i don't eat as healthy as i should but because of the amount of movement i do gym running I get away with it. I don't have a big belly anymore, and I don't have to fight well, that. Because I and I, you also didn't like pick up twenty that whole. <laughs> which I wanted, of I wanted to, <laughs> and just shovel the remaining ten or twelve into your mouth. God, they were like you just amazing. ate one. They well, were quite good. They were amazing. Yeah, self control is definitely a big thing. Yeah, and and you know with with the whole time issue, I've I've been in here and seen the shop be dead and boring, or just absolutely nuts and slammed where in. you don't have a chance to eat where you have to live off of a bag of cheetos and a coke or something yeah. and, and you just can't have that healthy meal so well you know and even talking about so I, the other thing is is that you mentioned the word coke you know i'll tell you that if you just cut the sodas out as a as an individual you're going to immediately change yeah you'll change your body almost oh when when cody quits drinking dr, dr. Pepper, pepper don't yeah. be around a cody pigs a fly b yeah. when he only drinks i say he cuts out dr pepper he one only day. drinks one a day one a day it's surprising how quick he just belly dumps gone. weight yeah his belly goes away oh yeah he's got a cute little little paunch so what's funny what's funny <laughs> he's got a beer belly i don't know we gotta name it it was a dr pepper belly i guess or yeah i've seen cody it? i've lived here for seven months now i think i've seen cody drink like four beers oh no, so it's definitely not a beer belly no, it's not a beer belly it's a, oh, yeah, it's it's a dr. dp pepper. belly 100 but yeah i mean just him like He's a great example of like if you cut out soda, drink, sugar drinks, and that kind of type of stuff. That's such. There, I mean, those are empty calories. And to me, like calories are calories are calories. Right. Yes, some stuff's better, it burns differently. Blah 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 blah. But those are su that's such an easy thing to d get rid of. Correct. Yeah. And there is a hack. There's a big hack to that because a lot of people, yeah, it tastes really good, but a lot of people that say, "Oh, I'm addicted to this soda," and I. I found that i was addicted to the carbonation so yeah, i started i started drinking club soda club soda yeah. Topo Chico, Topo Chico's. Texas, Topo Chico's are huge yeah um, just don't don't spend eight dollars on that no oh, no yeah it's just you can just go water. by the the walmart brand yeah yeah and i mean club soda you, you've, or whatever you've yeah. been at the house and yep. we keep that fridge stocked with it and you just take oh one. no i'll go over there and i'll drink like eight of them yeah <laughs> and, and, you're, you, and you're staying hydrated but you are hitting the nail on the head i am addicted to the carbonation yeah the carbonation sometimes it settles my stomach and it soothes my throat i mean everything I, I love the carbonation and i think that is more the catch like you said than the sugar you know absolutely eventually. i mean there's there's little hacks to everything yeah and then the other thing is too is that i'm real big on this is a lot of people that i've helped train in the past um i'm real big on my plate is one of the apps that i like to use there's yes. another one the under armor the under armor one's really good pal. i've used it i've yeah. used it in the past because that allows you to track and you, i will tell you if you document what you put in your body day by day meal by meal you will see that you're up to that, you know, two or three thousand calories. You can see what's calorie heavy, so you can kind of it gives you uh, something to look at and to process and go, okay, I need to cut this, you know. And 
and because at the end of the day, what Jason said is is right. It's simple mathematics. It's num- the number of calories consumed versus the number of calories burned. If you keep that in the negative stance day in and day out, you will lose weight. It's yep. mathematically impossible not to. 3,500 calories equal one pound of fat. Yeah. So if you're if you're subtracting 500 calories a day, you're going to lose about a pound a week. Yeah, that's um, it. And, and that's, that's how easy the math is. Yeah. And I people, got really good at counting calories. I was almost as good as... Uh, What's his name? Zach Galifianakis counting cards in uh, in the Hangover. (laughs) I was almost that good at counting calories. Yeah. Well, and the the thing is too is that once you've used that app for a while, let's say, and even if it's six months to a year, you you get really habitual and you know what's good and what's bad, and you can actually then you can drop the app and not have to worry about it because you know. You know, we're real habitual as, as humans and what we eat. There are certain foods we really enjoy that we like, and you're going to eat them over and over and over again. Like me when you see me coming out of the kitchen with a spoonful of peanut butter. Yeah, that's – dude, this – Bridger Deaton can go through a jar of peanut butter, the decent-sized jars, oh, dude, I, in a week. I, in a week. Like that's most of my caloric intake, I think. Is but that's I'll just good go fat. This, yeah, I'm, 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 not that much. Yeah, a jar. <laughs> Yeah, you need to go in and there's a thing called avocado. They're in the refrigerator. You know, just cut them in half and eat those. <laughs> it's not peanut butter. It ain't peanut butter. No. no, it ain't. But there are worse things you could put in your body, honestly. I mean, peanut butter is not a bad. You could be sitting there eating a whole bunch of Reese's yeah. peanut butter cups. <laughs> and think you're healthy. Watch <laughs> <laughs> protein. Which, which I've heard that before. Well, if you're going to eat a candy bar, eat a Reese's or a payday. You know, it's it's better for you than... Milky Ways or whatever. So no, if I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna go all out and just smash one of those three musketeers. Yeah, I'm sure might no, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, the, but that's the big the big thing is is the numbers, just math, easy. What you put in, what you, what you put out, and it's uh and it's that simple. And those that is those two Under Armour's, uh, uh, My Fitness Pal and the My Plate are two really good apps that you can track that on. Um, you know, and then just other than that, you know, I hear the big excuse also a lot of the times, and I'm not going to sit there and say that I haven't used it in the past, but you know, I don't have any time. I can't find time. Um, and Bridger, you, you literally can do your entire workout in what? 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, yes, I understand the relaxation and everybody wants to wind down a little bit after day work and everything. But if you have time to sit there and watch American Idol and the bachelor every night, yep. I mean, you got time to, you got time you can go walk for 30 minutes yeah. or you know just just move yeah yeah there's no so doubt. i, I mean, it all depends on how bad you want it yeah, yeah. Uh, i was i was in a different situation uh, back in 2012 um when i was flying out in afghanistan i used to go and work fly for 6 to 8 hours come back by the time i got done with work i was at that 10 12 hour mark go mm-hmm. knock out an insanity workout go grab a snack go hit the gym for an hour go take a shower, go to sleep. But that was my life. Um, But I found the time to accomplish the goal that I wanted to. And if if you give yourself realistic goals, I think that's the biggest downfall is people are like, man, I want to be, I want to be as big as John Cena tomorrow. Yeah. Well, again, I think I'd said it before, like if you have the biggest ingredient you need is time. And there's a guy, there's a guy I follow on Instagram, Derek Wieda. He makes, um, he's a amputee and stuff and he talks one of the last posts he did it was an awesome post where he talks about like people build all these goals for themselves like oh man i'm gonna 
I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to lose 40 pounds and I'm going to be svelte and, you know, all this stuff. And all of a sudden they give up after two weeks. Oh, yeah. We see it in the gym. This because year. I don't know how many new rotations. I mean, I've only been going there for, oh, you know, 12 Jay, weeks. Me and but like the it. rotation of people that are in <laughs> yeah. there is insane. Yeah. There's oh, probably, besides us, there's probably what, Seven maybe, eight. yeah, eight to 10 people yeah. that I see there. So the regularly, right? Yeah, the morning crews are, are morning crews constant. are all pretty con- are pretty consistent. And now that we're going the, in the afternoons, the evening because I went in the evening quite a bit. I go in the evening quite a bit. Once we get done, like if I get back from driving from somewhere right. or soon blow off steam or something, I go and go in the evening. And man, that evening crew is always different. It's transient. Oh yeah. Well, always we seen different. we seen it big time after remember after New Year's, Jason. Yep. I mean, oh geez, <laughs> it was like that two weeks. Such and... an easy one. But like yeah. again, those same people like go to the gym for two weeks. Mm-hmm. They said, "Well, man, I'm I've not going, getting results. I've been going to the gym for two weeks. I've only lost hell. I've only lost a pound exactly. or two pounds." I was like, "Yeah, but you need to like well, put in the work, change in lifestyle, like." You have to be willing and able to put the time in. Well, the other big thing to get the you, results that you're trying to get. And you hit the nail on the head a minute ago. And the other big thing that I see is these folks that come in, and I'm I'm gonna call out trainers. We see it. I see trainers in there who are obviously getting paid to train them, and they're standing there on their phone, you know, while the person's doing the workout that they tell them, or they're kind of looking off in a la la land and maybe counting one to you know and mm-hmm. and part of the being a trainer is encouragement you're like i'm in this guy's butt 24 oh, dude, i'll be up when we first get there i always go up and run a little bit yeah obviously a little tough for jason right so yeah exactly <laughs> secrets but uh like i'll be up there running and i'll be waiting to put my music in or i'll be pulling my earbuds out after i get done running so i can stretch a little bit and i can always hear you yelling at him it's stop it's, being a wuss <laughs> or something like let's go let's go it's kind of hard get your head <laughs> get your head right that's what i like to say all the time yeah, but yeah, yeah. scott I mean, always forgets he's got headphones i know i'm bad i know he that. does he's <laughs> i yell throughout the gym that's why i get that's why i got thrown out of planet fitness i could never survive there again we could never work out there be bad but like him but yeah i mean well as far as an encouragement thing goes i mean you either need to figure out a way to get that yourself or when you go with somebody, and I will say 100%, like you said, it's from an accountability standpoint, me going with you and oh, going yeah. with Jason is probably the only reason I'm still going to the gym right now. No, and you're right, and that's what makes it so – because it's so hard to self-motivate. Mm-hmm. So I'm a real big on accountability through friends, acquaintances. Meet someone at the gym that you can work out with that will help hold you accountable, text you, hey, man, where you at? Um, but the other thing is, is that the other thing I see at the gym, and I'm not going to say from a training perspective the trainers, but – the people that go in there and they spend more time on their phone, they do lifting or lifting, running or whatever it is. And so what I, what I mean there is like, you're a good example. You get your butt in there and you go hard for 30 to 45 minutes. If you're on your phone, you're changing music probably. Um, yeah. Or and, like a couple times I'll be in between sets or something. Yeah, I'll it, just look at something, but, but it's amazing that people will go there and work out for an hour and a half and literally not break a sweat. They'll probably work for work for a total of 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And I'm like, you know, they're doing, so you can cheat yourself and say, hey, I'm going to the gym and tell all your family and friends, I'm going to the gym every night and not hitting a lick. I, you know, you're better off going in there and for 10, 15 minutes and working your tail off because that's the thing, I guess, level of intensity. Now, yeah, I know there are injuries and stuff that get involved in that, and I'm not talking about that subject matter, but the level of intensity you put into your workout will reap reap or sow the benefits that you get out of it. Yeah. And if you if you you will get more out of 
if you want to go in there to be on your phone, you'll get more by going in, going on the Stairmaster, yeah, and hitting two hundred, hitting two hundred flights and yeah. sitting around on your phone. Exactly. Then you will going down onto the weight room floor, doing twenty bicep curls, looking at your phone for thirty minutes. Yep. Doing like ten lap pull downs at like forty or, pounds, or, or socializing. We've seen the social hour. I mean, yeah. that's part of the gym. It's part of the life. I or get the it, people but. that are sitting there taking selfies on the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's not a lot of those. That no, our gym is pretty good with that. Good. I mean, I probably take more pictures of you guys because I like to post about it. You know, because you guys are kicking butt. But damn, yeah. Poppy. Yeah. The yeah. But no, that's the other thing is make sure if you're doing it that you're doing something and you're Let's doing do it. Yeah, yeah man. get after it. And get I will say, it. like, it's easy for me now to want to get up and go to the gym. Like, I find myself getting up in the morning and going to the gym right. more often than you, yeah. or where I'm having to, like, make sure you're getting up so we can right. go. Um, I'm a terrible morning guy. <laughs> but, like, for me now, I've gotten to the point where you get to a certain point where it's. You're an autopilot. You feel. Well, you're, you're an autopilot, but, like, you feel. Horrible if you don't. Bad that you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I think when you get there, you're doing it right. Even even when you're like, man, I don't want to go, don't want to go, don't want to go. I mean, we break it up quite a bit. We're only going like three days a week. Right. Um. So it's not. I don't think. At least I haven't ran into that too much yet. But um, I don't know. It gets that becomes part of your routine. Well, a lot of people don't realize that running, especially, and you're a runner. Um is and I think lifting also it, you have an endorphin that goes through your body when you yeah. do it. And I think any stress related exercise you get that and that's why you feel so darn good afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care what anyone says if if you don't feel really good after a workout, I'm not saying right after you you know, if you had a hard workout you feel like you're gonna die. You like know? that day where we were and ran five miles and I yeah. sprinted up that last yeah. hill and felt like just <laughs> like you were <laughs> feel over. <laughs> but after that, maybe an hour oh, yeah. or two later, man, you're you're wired. You know, you're good. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed it tonight, Jason. You, So Jason came in the shop today and shot for a little while. He probably didn't shoot as well as he wanted. Um, struggled. No, I shot like garbage. Yeah, yeah. And then we go to the gym, and you know, you've been a different guy since you got back from the gym. Have you noticed? I, I mm-hmm. noticed it. Um, his mental, you know, where his he's at. jokes are better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, then that's what it does for you. So, you know, it's going to keep you younger. It's going. I believe it's going to help your shooting. Um it's going to help you as a hunter for sure. If you like to hunt, um, and you like to hunt, especially Western Mountain type hunting, um, you've got to do it. You you will not enjoy the experience as much if you're not in shape. Even from a Midwestern standpoint, like I have hunted whitetails hard my entire life, and there were times where I looked like a two hundred thirty pound two hundred thirty <laughs> pound sack of potatoes, right. and carrying two hundred pounds of steel tree stands and crap on your back. Is a whole lot of work mm-hmm. when you're carrying a lot of a carrying a lot of extra weight yourself and b aren't conditioned to do it. Right. It would be way easier for me to go out and like when I would help clients setting up setting up deer farms and all that stuff. I'd be able to do ten times more now than I did back then. Back then. Yeah. So even from like I make fun of what Midwestern guys because I am one and I know how well, so quote unquote hard it is yeah. to hunt. Like the the physical hunting part of it's easy. You walk in. Get up in your tree stand, sit there with your thermos of coffee and your right. peanut butter sandwich. But as far as like the setup and everything, it makes all that stuff. Oh, there's easier nothing too easy from... about that. I can tell you right now. It's funny you bring that up because I'm a mid. I, I'm from Ohio, Bridger from Iowa. Um, I, I remember. I think it was Blake. I'm going to call him out a little bit, but I had a lone wolf hand climber. It's my favorite stand, you know, back in Ohio, and uh, he used it at his ranch over here and. <laughs> 
I, I, he literally couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy. It takes a lot of lower ab work, work oh, to lift your feet up like that over and over to climb. That when I was feet. a 230 sack potatoes, I yeah. would still do that. Yeah. Stuff. It ain't easy. Yeah, Cause you're really My doing abs it. would hurt for like well, three days. <laughs> you're, do, you're doing a dip and a leg lift mm-hmm. simultaneously as you're going up the tree. Yep. And then I used to hang seven or eight sets like you probably did, you yep. know, for different scenarios and different times of the year. And you go spend a weekend, two days setting seven to eight sets. You're toast. You know, carrying mm-hmm. those stands back and forth. You're carrying what, maybe two at a time, two sets, walking back to the truck, getting your other two sets, going back out, and it's it ain't easy. No. no, I always told. I remember thinking when I was back home hunting this fall, I was like, man, I'm gonna. Scott talks about how hard elk hunting That's and all right. that crap is. I'm gonna make him come out and set like a property of three stands with me <laughs> yeah. because I'll freaking burn him into the dirt no it's, that's not dude i've done it it's but you know what's even worse too is that in ohio back in the day i don't you know it wasn't illegal then i don't know if it's still illegal but then screwing in about 10 tree steps per oh, set man. that'll kill you and yeah, i didn't i was dumb enough not to take a hammer you know i just start there with it and <laughs> oh my gosh hated that yeah i know i do what you guys are talking <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well most texans don't just kind of throw up a pop-up line and go kill something mm-hmm. well you know? i i grew up and I say grow up. I started hunting in Alabama. So it was tree yeah, stands. You did a little tree stands then. Yeah. It was tree stands and tripods and stuff like a that. A lot of ladder stands there, though. Yeah. yeah which are yeah. heavy as all get out. I. You guys are talking about this. I hate ladder stands. Oh, I despise them. They're guys, so, once they're there, they're there. You just really don't move them. I think <laughs> the only time I ever used a ladder stand was when I'd be hunting somewhere on public and I was going to set a stand and I'm like, oh. Well, that one's right there already. <laughs> I'm just going to sit in there. Yeah. Then the, the owner comes by. Hey! <laughs> Get out of my stand. As yeah. much as, you know, this this helps for hunting and stuff like that, but getting in shape, losing a little weight um, is definitely going to help all the target shooters out there, especially the guys that are shooting U-sets and stuff like that, you know, standing out in the sun in, in yeah. Arizona and Florida and SoCal. Well, First oh, thing that we did when we when we were getting ready to go overseas and go out to the desert was lose some weight so that the more insulated you are, the more heat you retain. So yep. Yep. the the thinner you are, the the better you're going to cool down. Dude, I cannot wait to shoot redding this year and being in this and hopefully better shape. Better than shape even. Than oh yeah, you'll be. Um, I've always talked about how I wanted to get in shape before redding, and I never never did it. And I was in, I was halfway there yeah. last year. And I shot my best score there last year. That's a at, marathon shoot. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are times where you're. I'm trying to think of one of a spot where, I mean, you you'll walk up a big hill or something. Right. Uh. Well, right after Bigfoot, you'll come down. They get rid of the bear targets up the hill, but you'll come down. You shoot a short target now, and then you switch back up a hill, shoot the raccoons across, walk up a hill again, shoot back across the other way, and then shoot rams, and then go all the way down, and then back up another big hill. I mean, there are times where you're freaking hoofing it up. A, I mean, it's not, it's maybe, not mountain elk, maybe hunting, three or four hundred feet. But you're going. I mean, there's a decent amount of elevation change right. and just going up a hill. And man, you watching some of these old, old these old timers doing yeah. it that are <laughs> look like a beach ball with arms. Well, I don't know how. Like when I was in poor shape, I thought I was gonna keel over or like <laughs> it would take me five minutes to recover. Now, like I'm super looking forward to being able to get up there, be able to cut my recovery time by. Right you know 80 percent right heart rate able, solid and be able to get back to 100 percent from yeah. a next shot you know yeah. shooting outdoor stuff even even shooting 3ds and stuff and like in foley you got to walk 
10 oh freaking miles gosh, if you missed the targets. If you missed the, the bus. tram, yeah. <laughs> you can walk like 10 miles. Yeah. But even even doing that and carrying everything, so. Yeah. So, you know, the, um, yeah, there's no doubt about that. That's, that's, I think you're going to be a good, much better. I'm, I'm by super May, looking you're forward gonna to that. Be, yeah. You're going to be jacked. I think you're going to be, you're going to be awesome. So, um, yeah, anyways, there's definitely a correlation between longevity in the sport and physical fitness and nutrition. We encourage most of our shooters, most of our, the people we work with, this shop is well known for the fact that we, we will preach it and live it. We do an elk class every year that we talk extensively about it. Um, it just makes the whole experience more enjoyable. You will have a longevity in the sport from a standpoint of being able to shoot at a, at a higher level longer if you keep yourself in pretty good condition. Yeah. And plus, it's overall, it's going to help you. It's going to help your – I think it's going to help you in every way possible. You just feel better. You'll feel better. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. I mean, you'll be happier, not as grumpy. And God, Lord knows how I would be if I <laughs> didn't work out. Don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Unbearable. <laughs> no friends. Um, no, but so anyways, uh, we went a little bit longer today. Um, hopefully the content was good. It was, it was definitely a switch in directions a little bit. Um, I love the questions. I think we need to keep those coming. If you guys have content that you want to talk about and, and like I said, maybe we'll do a, I think maybe a whole we, show on releases. We love maybe. the, we love the compliments, but we need more questions. Yeah. More questions. Absolutely. <laughs> Ask more questions. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, we'll keep your breast of tournaments. I know Foley just got over maybe a little bit too soon to talk about it. We had some really, really good accomplishments. So I think we're going to try to get a couple of the amateurs that, that mm -hmm. did well here on the show, because one thing that we will do, and I hope this is not going to fall, um, be a detriment to our show, but, um, we talked to a lot of pros, but I really want to get the amateur level shooters involved because at the end of the day, you as a listener, you hope most of y'all are amateurs. So how they relate to, you know, to you and, and your archery endeavors and what they're doing to get to the top of their game. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've got a couple kids that potentially could be shooting at an extremely high level and it's going to be fun to watch their transition and, and grow with them and let them talk about their experience so that you, you, the listener can relate to that. You know, we all want to hear what Paige is doing and what, you know, Levi is doing and everyone else, but there's so much content out there with them. I mean, my gosh, I think I, Bo Junkie got every dang winner within eight hours of the tournament on mm. podcasting <laughs> now, you know, between them and Lancaster and man, it's just, you know, how redundant can it be? And, but when we talk with those pros, we're going to try to do some things a little different and the information we're getting, um, from them and anyways so we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit maybe and talk with some of the amateur shooters and what they're doing and maybe you'll relate better to that um, other than that um, we appreciate you all once again great compliments coming in keep the questions coming in hopefully we're doing things right and we are working on our audio so bear with us on that yes so jaybird's going to figure that out you know Somebody said something about get a real sound engineer or something. Jason actually is a ex band guy and he knows sound real well. So. Yeah. I, I I used to do this yeah. uh, a while back. Yeah. He's just really bad at it. Yeah. He <laughs> <I> suck. <laughs> right. So anyways, we're signing off. We'll catch you around the next one. Thanks guys. I don't know.